Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. You're insane, mate. Superman can fly around the entire planet in the blink of an eye. Dude, we're going by a pure foot race. Suits would get dusted by the flash. But why would the man of steel agree to a sudden foot race? Uh, for charity? And Flash would totally win, because he can, like, vibrate through walls and stuff. Ooh, vibrations. Whatever would Superman do if he came up against a wall? Well, no smashing allowed. No flying, no smashing. Any other restrictions I need to know about? Perhaps we should fit Superman with a pair of kryptonite. The hell? Oh, don't, don't touch it. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Just breathe, just breathe, huh? Don't try to talk, mate. We've got to get We have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Post Show Recaps. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Mike Bloom. And Mike, I assume you're deeply triggered by these questions of foot races in this episode. I mean, it doesn't necessarily get the idea out of my head that I need to be apparently training for something. I don't know whether I'm Flash or Superman, but let me just come right out and say... Sorry, Stefan Johnson. Charlie's wrong here. The fa- the Flash has definitively beaten Superman in previous instances, or at least tied. And I, I-, I see very many holes in this man's argument here, much like there's going to be a hole in his neck in an alternate reality. Poor Charlie. Oh, my God. We have to watch Charlie die so many times in this episode. And it is like... It is very traumatic for me every single time. <laughs> it's just a lot. Yeah, I mean, it really is, you know, we really get a peek into Desmond's head, uh, finally, of seeing, like, okay, what are the flashes? You know, we didn't see before Charlie falling off the rocks, uh, you know, with the whole Paravion thing. But, yeah, I mean, now you get to see a sense of why Desmond is as brooding as he has been around the Charlie stuff, because this is some graphic stuff just playing in his head 24-7. Yeah, he's on, like, uh, yeah, he's got, like, uh, you know, HBO content in his head. 
all day long. Uh, it's just yeah, not even that much nudity, just only graphic <laughs> violence. <laughs> what if? <laughs> no, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going there. I refuse. It's in everyone's head now, though, so I apologize for that. Um, yeah, here we are, Catch Twenty Two, Catch Twenty Two, the second Desmond flashback episode of the season, third overall. I think it's often talked about as the weakest of the Desmond flashbacks. I think it's between this and the episode in the final season. Uh, right. Happily ever after. Yeah, would be, would be my guess. And I would, uh, for me, that's the weaker of the two. Um, and I got to be honest, I, this is a, I, I've said this over the past couple of weeks. This is a personal favorite of mine. I think sort mm. of in, in the same vein, Mike, of like, I love the long con. I love Catch-22, except I think Catch-22 is a better episode than the long con for sure for me. Um, there's just a there's a lot of stuff here that's very very fun, really great dialogue driven episode, awesome character combinations in this episode as well, uh, and I I like this um, I like this this sort of meat cute story that this flashback ends up being like I think monk cute this monk cute yeah like I think similar in a in a way to like. Uh, it's it's hard it's hard to really compare them and i know it's gonna sound hyperbolic to compare them so i want to preface it by saying like that the impact reveal is is nowhere near the same level but i think like structurally there is something similar to watching the flashbacks of walkabout knowing that it's like building towards the reveal of john Locke in the wheelchair and watching the flashbacks here for for desmond in catch 22 to know that this is the reveal of how desmond and penny met that I think is really cute and I really, really, really like. Um, I just, I love this one. Even if it's like, I think especially of, of the Desmond flashback episodes, it's like the worst look for Desmond. This is, mm-hmm. this is one of the worst looks for our boy. Uh, maybe not visually, I think, uh, some of his flashback uh, appearances. Oh, yeah, the, the medium-length hair serves H.I.C. really well. You know, I really love H.I.C. in this episode. He's got, like, this... At one point, he's got, like, the green-collared shirt and the gray sweater, serving up some, like, Chris Evans realness. Like, he's looking great. Uh, but Desmond as a character is maybe looking a little wobbly in this episode. But I don't know, Mike. I, I love this one. I think it's got a lot of Trisha Tanaka energy... Uh, uh, while also being a very important mythological episode, it's going to bring Naomi to the island. We're officially in uh, in freighter territory at this point. Yeah, I mean, we she has been sent forward from them. We don't know the role that she's playing right now. I mean, I guess to sort of preface my thoughts about the episode, it's fun. It's it's fun. I, I you know I I think I nearly do not have as much praise on this episode as you do. I think that it definitely echoes episodes like Trisha Tanaka and the flashback for me had huge echoes of Ooh and Found with the whole Sun and Jin yep. meet cute as well. And from that perspective, it's a little bit to me like okay we we've seen this type of thing before. And not to say that it doesn't you know uh, do them well as well. And there are certainly I think this is a really interesting episode as a character study for Desmond. Like you said, it is more of a warts and all approach, but I think Flashes Before Your Eyes gave us like a bit of the tragedy of Desmond David Hume, but I think this really underlines it, at least in this moment. And this was talked about a bit in the Discord. I threw this question out because this episode really made me question whether Desmond is a tragic character in Lost. And I I do think it also depends on the stage at which we find him in his life. Because I do think Flashes Before Your Eyes is a very tragic, like, painting, right? Of like, hey, no matter what you do, you're stuck to this path, and that includes having to break it off with the love of your life. And that sort of, you know, again, reverberates into this episode as well. Again, another callback, if you will, of 
Desmond makes this choice of essentially like sacrificing his love once more for this greater good, for this greater purpose. And so I think, honestly, the most fascinating element of this episode, in my opinion, the thing I was most interested in and that I forgot about is really med- meditating on this part of Desmond, because really, after this episode, we're not going to really touch upon that for the rest of the season. It's mostly going to be more so focused on the Charlie side of the Charlie death thing. So I'm happy that we took at least a dip in the pool of how Desmond's feeling all about all of this, because otherwise he sort of is more so used as like a, a plot device moving forward as we now shift focus to Charlie reacting to everything. All right, so there's a lot of Desmond to talk about in this one uh, and a lot of Charlie to talk about as well. We'll get into it in just a second. First, before we proceed... Any further, I want to let you know that support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. Uh, speaking of dropping in, Mike, uh, Naomi's about to drop in here in just a second as we go yeah, forth. And, and, and so will several helicopters just in <laughs> the ocean into the ocean as we go forth into the jungle to talk about Catch-22, directed by Stephen Williams, and it is co-written by Jack uh, Jeff Pinkner and Brian K. Vaughn. And Brian K. Vaughn, of course, is someone whose praises I uh, have, have sung in the past on this podcast. If you're a comic book fan... Very likely uh, that you are aware of Brian K. Vaughn's work. And if not, mm-hmm. I would encourage you to check it out. Brian K. Vaughn is the author of Why the Last Man, which is going to be an FX show. Uh, <laughs> at some point in the world. At some point in the uh, world, allegedly. Yeah, and I, and I do remember, actually, Josh, one of our first conversations was I, I emailed you uh, out of the blue and said, like, hey, I know you're a big comic book guy. I've always been looking to get into comic books. What would you recommend? And true to the point that you just made, the very first thing you talked to me about was Why the Last Man. And that was that was the first thing that I got invested in before I really went down the Marvel and DC rabbit hole, speaking of Superman and The Flash. So, yeah, suffice it to say, if you ask Josh Wrigley for a comic book recommendation, he's going to turn to the works of Brian K. Vaughn, most likely. O- often I will. I mean, you know, it's it's also like a bit of like mapping it to what I think you would be interested in. And for me, uh, what I what I know of you, Mike, is I think that why the last man would be really up your alley. Like it's got and it was it's got a lot of pop culture references. It is, uh, you know, post apocalyptic, but light in the same way, but mm-hmm. sometimes really, really, really heavy. Um, doesn't pull its punches as far as like character deaths are concerned, um, like appropriately brutal, but at the same time, not at the expense of humanity. Um, and that is really a characteristic of a lot of BKV's work, uh, looking at Saga, which is his current um, ongoing comic book, even though it is currently on Yadis as of this recording and has been for over a year now. And that, I have to admit, is making me nervous. Uh, also recently wrapped Paper Girls, which is going to be an Amazon show. Uh, if you haven't checked out Ex Machina, that's really, really, really good. And not the movie. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> Oh, so he did not uh, animate Oscar Isaac dancing? No, sadly not. Uh, So just a a lot of great stuff uh, from Brian K. Vaughn. And I believe that this is 
his first um, byline. Yeah, yeah. So, so the story is apparently that Lindelof was a, much like you, a huge fan of Why the Last Man. And he showed the book to Carlton Cuse and said, like, you know, we need this guy on our show. I have no idea if he's going to do it because, like, he doesn't even work in L.A., and I don't know if it was just that Vaughn was like a reciprocal fan of Lost as well, but I believe this is his first writing credit. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he did start as an executive story editor on The Man from Tallahassee, and then sort of a few episodes passed where I think he was maybe shadowing people in the writer's room before he officially hopped on with his first writing credit here with Catch-22. Yeah, uh, and no surprise, Damon Lindelof, who is obviously a huge comics guy, Given mm-hmm. Watchmen, given, you know, he's written comic books, uh, Wolverine versus the Hulk in the Ultimate Universe. Uh, so no shock at all that BKV is somebody who was on his radar. And uh, I, I love BKV's contributions to Lost. Uh, one of my all-time favorite comic book writers, taking some of my favorite characters of all time for a spin. It's going to be a great time. And I think that a lot of his strengths really show uh, in this episode, whether it's, you know, right off, off the top, getting into like one of the nerdiest nerd debates of who's faster, mm-hmm. Superman or The Flash, or even just like these instincts for character combinations, for, for who to piece together, what makes sense uh, as far as like getting uh, Jin and Hurley and Charlie and Desmond together. Like, that's a really fun quartet of characters. Uh, so I, I really love what's done in this episode. And I, I attribute a lot of it to Brian K. Vaughn with no disrespect towards Jeff Pinkner, <laughs> who is, who is uh, a really great storyteller in his own right. Uh, Pinkner is, is uh, chiefly responsible, uh, if not chiefly, then certainly uh, deeply responsible. He is, he is a big piece of the crew that brought Fringe to life. And Fringe, as I've said on this podcast, not recently, but in the past, is another one of my uh, my favorite uh, shows of this space. And is one of those shows that came up alongside Lost around the same time, at least, um, for some of it. And uh, it absolutely stands as a contemporary, as far as I'm concerned, a really uh, delightful mix of The X-Files, Lost, Alias, a lot of those things that I love from all of those shows, very alive and active in Fringe. And Pinkner was a huge part of the success of that show. So this episode is coming from the minds of two writers who I have a ton of respect for. Uh, I think that that gets me in like a headspace to really enjoy Catch-22. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's let's talk about this first scene, Josh, because I'm intrigued to see where do you, where do you stand on the whole Superman versus the Flash thing? Because again, I, I certainly have thoughts about Charlie's arguments in particular, but I know that once again, as stated before, you were a much noted, more uh, comic book storied man. Did did you ever have a dog in this fight? No, I mean, I don't think that it's really a competition. Like if if the Flash loses in a in a race to Superman, then the Flash should just turn in his card. This is right, his thing. Though he's the world's fastest man. Well, not to mention, like, <laughs> you know? the, the Flash can go through space and time. Yeah. And, and I think there is something about how, like, I think Superman, like, if he's outside of Earth's atmosphere, I think he can go, like, faster than the speed of light as well. But I, outside of, like, the only real chief memory I have of Superman with, like, around time travel is, of course, that, like, very controversial ending to Superman 2, where he reverses the flow of time to save Lois Lane. Uh, but outside of that, like, Superman's chief thing is not, okay, I'm going to accidentally end up in multiple universes because I accidentally ran too fast. I mean, look, I'm I'm 
we need Kevin Mahadeo on the podcast, but to get Kevin right. Mahadeo on a lost podcast is not. Well, I think we're gonna have. I think we're gonna feat. have to trick him. I think we're gonna have to say we're doing another brain steal for everything is super, wow. and then just be like, "Oh, Kevin, this is actually just an interrogation about who's faster, Superman or the Flash." That's like uh, what Bobby Flay does on Throwdown. He just shows yeah, up exactly. and challenges you to a Throwdown, even though you thought that you were part of a different Food Network special. So we just got a Throwdown with Kevin Mahadeo about uh, Flash versus the Superman. He's yeah. he's lost. And I also think that, again, I think Charlie, this is a relatively good Charlie episode, but I don't get Charlie's logic of like, Hurley's like, yeah, the Flash is so fast, he can vibrate through surfaces. And Charlie is taking the vibration thing completely the wrong way by being like, yeah, well, Superman can punch through a wall. That doesn't indicate how fast his speed is. That indicates how strong he is. There's there's not going to be like walls in the way. I don't know what Charlie's sort of thinking. There's going to be some sort of American Ninja Warrior obstacle course in here, but I, I think he's a bit off his gourd here. Flash is is uh, linked up to the Speed Force, right? Yeah, you know? it's called the Speed uh, Force. Right? So I'm not a huge DC Comics guy. I'm much more of a Marvel guy than I am a DC Comics guy, but uh, without like getting too granular about it, I think that this is... Uh, very easily the Flash over Superman. And I I also think that the show um, makes the argument that it's the Flash should be the victor because uh, Charlie loses the fight with an arrow through the throat. And it- well, I was going to say, in, in the grand scheme <laughs> yeah, of things, these, you know, the, uh, the Flash figure ends up living out happily on the island and the he, Superman figure drowns, yeah, he drowns in a few episodes. He drowns a few episodes from now. The island is trying to kill this terrible tape. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't have said that Superman was faster than the you Flash. Know, and, I, and I think also, like, uh, we're, we're sort of inclined to, like, take Hurley is sort of like the pop culture ambassador of the island. I mean, too. he's re- he's literally reading Flash comics on the plane. Yeah, so like I'm I'm inclined to to feel like Hurley's got this one. Uh, like even if I didn't feel that the Flash was the rightful winner anyway, I would I would uh, I would push my chips in behind Hurley. Uh, I feel like Hurley advocating for the Flash is a clear signal to me that Flash is the winner. Right, exactly. It's sort of like a, hey, if Hurley, like Hurley, especially at this point, as we're sort of, again, working him towards the leader of the island, is is not going to make many incorrect decisions just based on going off of his gut. So I I'm, I'm tend to trust his yeah. instincts more than Charlie's Same, at this point. big time. All right, so so this is how the episode begins. We already listened to the beginning of the episode at the top of the podcast. Uh, you know it if you know Catch-22 at all. It's the it's the foursome. It's Desmond. It's Hurley. It's Charlie. It's Jin. They're... Uh, trekking through a, a rainstorm in the jungle. They get into this debate about Superman versus the Flash. Charlie steps on a wire, uh, and he gets shot through the throat with an arrow And Desmond's to blame. Yeah. He gives love a great name, though. Uh, and it's vicious, Mike. And I, I remember yeah, watching... Visceral. I remember watching Catch-22 for the first time. Uh, and I've talked a lot about like the college crew that I had watching Lost during these days, mm-hmm. especially. And this is the last season that we all watched together. Uh, and I remember all of us just being like, oh, shit! Like, as soon as Charlie got shot through the throat, like... I think very quickly it becomes clear that this is not what uh, you know. This right. Is, this, this this is not the moment because I think right. that like, and it, but it would be an interesting troll job, sort of of like imagine because this is almost like coming off of expose. Which granted, Nick and Paul did not die in that first act, but it was very similar. Of just like, yep, this is a big thing to start off. Imagine if after all this build up, that's how they killed off Charlie. Well, it it does have something similar to expose in terms of like when Nikki is killed on expose the show. Uh, like that mm. moment where she's like shot by the cobra. Like I, I feel like there's like a Jacino music cue here that is like overly dramatic. 
after Charlie gets hit in the throat that you hear that like sort of signals to you like what you're watching isn't really happening. Um, but it doesn't like take away from the shock of oh, yeah. watching a character who you're pretty connected with at this point. And you're certainly connecting again with uh, for the first time in a while over the course of this season, get shot through the throat in a really aggressive, bloody way. It's the very yeah, and first just, thing And just cough see. up blood until he ends up just dying. Uh, and while the whole while everyone's like, do something, and they, there's nothing they, they can do. I did like the little line uh, right before it happens. Of, I, I forget, maybe it was Desmond being like, looks like it's homemade. And it's like, yes. Yeah. Where do you think you are right now? Of course it's homemade. It's a home, homemade booby trap. Uh, and I, I, I love this, though. It, it, was, it was so shocking, and I think part of the reason why it was shocking is it really effectively gets you into the stakes of what's going on with Desmond and Charlie. This episode is so rooted in Desmond's point of view. And um, while it's not one of those huge, timey-wimey episodes of, of, of loss, especially as it typically concerns Desmond... What I appreciate about this is this is really grounding us in the headspace of Desmond's new power set, which seemingly Mm -hmm. is just, I watched Charlie die over and over again. And so we're in that. And I, I think it really sells you on shit could go really poorly for Charlie at any point. At, the, at, at this moment in time. Um, and it, it, I think at the time, it was the episode that really convinced me that Charlie is in more danger than I was giving the show credit for. Uh, mm. And certainly in, in hindsight, I think knowing that Charlie is actually going to die just a few episodes from this moment, I actually think it's pretty gutsy that they, they did an episode like this where they showed us Charlie dying gruesomely over and over and over again. Um, I think it, I think it works really, really, really well, both as like kind of like a gag, but also <sighs> a, as foreshadowing and also as grounding us in uh, the stakes involved with Charlie Pace at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, he's gagging on his own blood. Uh, I, I I agree that I think it is a very visceral image to start. And it really, again, uh, gives us weight to the stakes that Desmond is dealing with on a daily basis, which connects back to the final scene of Flashes Before Your Eyes of him being like, you really feel this pressure now of everything Desmond has done to try to prevent the inevitable and like what he's had to live with essentially every day of just basically trying to like almost like a buttons and mini Mindy from Animaniacs. Like he's the poor dog trying to direct this toddler from, you know, not wandering onto the construction site and getting herself killed. He's been trying to do that essentially every day since he's had those flashes. What I will say though, is I do feel like you know we're we're gonna see you know the flashes that we heard in the uh in the opening clip are flashes of various things like hurley and Jin finding the cable you know uh the the parachute the the picture of desmond and penny i feel like maybe we see a few too many of those flashes like i can understand it as a device and especially at the top of this episode it really gets us again into the device of yeah this this was not real uh, but I do wonder if this was something we had to see a la maternity leave without the obnoxious noise, like every time we get a shot for shot recreation of it, or if we sort of got the point after a while of, okay, we know that Desmond's trying to beat for beat remake these circumstances happen. Yeah, uh, I, I I hear that. I think that's mitigated for me by the fact that this is um, this is another season three episode of Lost that I think is doing some... some um, some subtle work on getting us ready for the finale. 
uh, whether it's because we're introducing Naomi and, and that whole plot element into this or reinforcing the Desmond and Charlie, Charlie's going to die stakes. Um, this is the first flash forward episode of Lost. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know? we are, we're, we're seeing, I mean, I guess it's sort of like an alternate reality flash forward. So it's sort of a combination of like the sideways and the flash forwards. But yeah, I see your point there. You know, there are scenes at the very least that we are flashing through multiple times throughout the episode that we then see come to pass. Uh, so this is the first episode in which glimpses of the future are integral to the plot of an episode. Uh, so in in that way, it's kind of getting us trained for the idea that Lost can get that to to that level of experimentation. <laughs> yeah, or at least that we didn't realize it because again, it's it's one of those great twists where the final we have to go back. We are going to get into all that in what I'm assuming is going to be our seven hour magnum oh, opus God. through the Looking Glass. But like, it definitely is one of those things where you can sort of see the seeds that are leading up to that epiphany of okay you know the show has i mean this and flashes before your eyes again are really siblings of one another and both of them do a good job one in the flashback one not of really just showing how the concept of time can be manipulated in a way on lost where everything you're seeing is not you know playing out on the island in the moments that we're watching them so desmond's having these flashes we're seeing bits of the rest of the episode the wire the parachuting all that stuff uh, and meanwhile, Desmond has just been like chilling on the side of the beach with this gigantic fishing pole. Uh, I'm surprised that Jin like lets anyone else fish. If we're being honest, maybe maybe season one Jin wouldn't do it. Maybe I'm sure season three Jin at this point is like, yeah, I don't really care. You know what? But- at this point, though, you know, Desmond one shot killed a boar. Like I feel like uh, I I like his odds in, on this on the open sea. Uh, plus, he was like he was he was sailing around the world. I, don't I, know, I trust him fishing. more in like the uh, the season one esque like spear in the ocean, like what Hurley and Charlie were trying Maybe. to do than I will with a fishing pole. Maybe, uh, but he's fishing and he's looking around. And one of the visions that he saw was Hurley with the wire in the sand. So he runs up to Hurley. Where's the wire? Uh, and I gotta say, if we're talking more hair stuff, uh, I love Hurley's little like pseudo tied back hair in this episode. Hurley's great. Hurley's looking fantastic here, uh, and he wants to know where the wire is. And her was like, oh, shit, this is future crap. Uh, yeah, well, I guess at the time, this is what season four of The Wire will have just aired. Uh, so maybe that is what Desmond, again, going back to the HBO analogy, that's what he's seeing in his head is like, oh, my God, yeah. what's going on with Dookie? Yeah, where's The Wire? Where's The Wire? It's back home, dude. You got to... We don't have TV out where's here. Where's Wallace? Yeah, where's Wallace? <laughs> oh, no. Where's Wallace, man? Yeah. Where's Wallace, brother? Wh- where's Wallace String? <laughs> Uh, where's the string? Uh, so he's asking Hurley, and Hurley says, this is future crap, right? And Desmond says, yeah, it's future crap. Guess what? Someone's coming to the island. Uh, and this was another thing where in, in the living room watching this the first time, we're like, oh, shit, that's another really big deal. And, of course, we, we haven't really talked about this in a while, uh, but season two's finale gets you yeah. gets you queued up for something like this happening. <laughs> yeah, and then, then it's like, uh, just wait about 17 episodes. It'll come back around. Don't know, you worry. But so many other things are happening that, like, I think it is something that you kind of lose sight of. Uh, and then he, oh, absolutely! And then here you go in this episode. It's like, oh, right, oh my god, yeah, that's right. Penny is looking for him, uh, and so there is now this expectation in this episode uh, that this is Penny, uh, and that Penny is here, and Penny's on her way. Uh, and I think that that's it, it. It was a really exciting thing 
at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is the opening silo for, uh, you know, the final act of season three in a big way. Uh, yep. this, this element of the final act. You know, if we had that last week with the ending of the others are coming, now it's the, the freighters. You know, these are the people who are in stark opposition to Ben and his people uh, that are coming. So war is coming to the island. It's not just people who are coming to the island. It's exciting times, Mike, as we've been doing this for quite a while. And we're yeah. really like, it, it's not that we're entering endgame stuff, but we are, we are entering like a really... A, fa- a phase change of loss. A phase change, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that it's also setting up this idea of really how the, much like season two, and actually season one as well, you know, the finale sort of set up a multi-pronged approach to almost multiple enemies. And here we get it sort of a, a one-two punch, like you said, where last week is the others are coming and this other one is, but also now we're looking to possibly get off the island as well with outside influence. And we might not necessarily realize the danger here because again, we make the assumption, we try to put our own two and two together here by saying we saw penny talking to not you know portuguese matthew fox and the others in the arctic she's looking for him therefore it must be penny spoiler alert it's not penny's boat as charlie himself will say one day but at the moment right now you are putting yourself in desmond's headspace you're extremely optimistic especially considering the tragedy of these two up to this point yeah uh all right so flashback time here he is short-haired desmond he's got his robes on he's looking really suave as a monk uh, if we had to have Stranger in a Strange Land as the flashback episode that explained Jack's tattoos, it feels only fair that we get a flashback that explains why Desmond says the word brother so often. Yeah, he is a monk. I'm so, I don't know. I, I really like the last scene of this flashback, to your point, and, and it's going to be played later. I, I think it is a really beautiful meeting between the two characters, but I've always just been so resoundingly like the bells of a church, like, Eh, on Desmond being a monk. And again, I, I sort of talked about this in the last week, but it, it's always been a little disappointing to me that Desmond episodes for the vast majority have been so unique in terms of its storytelling with the flashbacks variety that to have like a straight up flashback for Desmond in this episode felt like a little bit like a well we didn't need to go back to. And I, I wonder if maybe there could have been some more unorthodox storytelling here of like, for instance, what if it was an entirely silent flashback until Desmond meets Penny or until he's dismissed from the Abbey? Because we're going to get into like, spoiler alert, Desmond's a pretty crappy person in 1994. Uh, and so maybe that's another reason why I'm not too savory on it. But the the monk stuff is something that I was never terribly high on, especially compared to just the wealth of other stuff that Desmond flashbacks have had to offer otherwise. I, but So I think one of the things for me is I appreciate this episode's existence because like Desmond, as far as like uh, flashback structure, certainly like moving forward, like there's always like there's got to be this feeling of like, well, it's got to be flashes before your eyes or the constant or he has to be like experiencing life after death. Otherwise, it's just like sort of boring. And I, I, I kind of reject that because I, I feel like if he's just a character that that leans on that for his centricity episodes, then how is he anything short of just like sort of like a really super admittedly cool gimmick? Um, and I, I feel this, like, I, I feel like this, this idea of a person who is looking for their purpose and is like in, in that search for their purpose, really, they are like acting rather cowardly and shitty and problematically. Uh, and maybe that's pushing them towards something better in the long haul, but there's some reckoning with that stuff that needs to be done. I, I like, like, 
you know, again, spoilers for where we're going in the podcast, Mike, I think you and I are both probably going to strip Desmond of some of his merits in this, mm-hmm. in this episode. Which, He'll have to get his honor back. Yeah, that's he's sure. going to have to get his honor back. And that's fine. You know, I think a messy character is great. You know, John Locke. That's what that's what Lost is about. <laughs> John Locke is my is one of my all time favorite characters of anything. And just look at his scores. They've been plummeting scores for a while <laughs> for, you know, the better part of a year now. Uh, and who knows where he's going to land in the long haul. Um, but I, I like that about Desmond in this episode. I like that this is kind of problematic, Desmond. It's it's giving him uh, some dimensionality for me beyond just like the the romantic hero who needs to be reunited with his love. This episode like kind of gets into like, you know, in, in the in the in the same vein of like the the blind faith type stuff that we get into yeah. with John Locke. I think that this is sort of like when all you care about is uh, is the one person uh, and doing whatever it takes to get back to that one person. What are you sacrificing along the way? Who are you hurting in pursuit of that? Whether it's Ruth, you know, his his fiance, who he <laughs> oh, poor Ruth, poor Ruth, who he abandoned, baby Ruth, who he abandoned, uh, you know, a week before the wedding. Like that's some shitty, you know, terrible behavior. Or if it's, uh, you know. If it's Charlie, who he like is contemplating letting die in this episode because he's just too tired and he can't stay vigilant for Charlie anymore. So I, I think it adds some humanity to the character. Both the, the, the structure of the flashback, the fact that it's like a fairly vanilla flashback, certainly compared to the other Desmond episodes. Um, but the fact that it's like kind of shitty vanilla. <laughs> you know? yeah. Sometimes you need to have like uh, a, a bad vanilla ice cream to make you appreciate the the other vanilla ice creams. And I don't even think that this is a bad vanilla ice cream, but I think it is one that's making you think of like, oh, is, is vanilla ice cream good all the time? Uh, I don't know. I've lost the plot on the metaphor. Uh, we're going sure, back to Mike. the hot fudge oatmeal of it all. I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah. see your point. Like, I think thematically, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this. And particularly, I do like the callback to, like, messianic religion. Because outside of Mr. Echo, we really haven't talked about that. Uh, you know, and I think I'm I'm a little mixed on adding that facet to Desmond's character. Because, again, I think the path stuff worked totally fine in flashes before your eyes when Eloise, Eloise Hawking described it. I don't think we necessarily need Desmond's character to further be characterized by, oh, he's also susceptible to this idea because he was previously guided by this and sort of went on these crazy adventures as a result of it. And I'll also push back on the idea that I, I, I do not think if we had more, you know, flashy Desmond episodes, if they would be seen as a gimmick, because I have confidence that Lost had such a good foundation of this character, as this episode shows, that I think they could still do unconventional storytelling without necessarily, you know, uh, feeling like they have to lean on flashing around everything. I mean, again, I think if you do something like having him be completely silent the entire time, and we just rely on looks and mannerisms from Henry and Cusack and the looks exchange with the people, I, I think that's a, a great way to express the fact that he literally and metaphorically cannot find his voice. And when he sees Penny... That's when he does so, and that's going to drive him. I, I don't want to backseat write this episode, and I'm not to say that, like, oh, you have to go completely off the wall in every Desmond episode, but I think there is a way to make this a little spicy each and every time, rather than, to your point, going to, like, the Briars vanilla of, we're going to make his flashbacks like a lot of the others. Uh, I, I think there's still a way to make it, like, vanilla, but, like, throw a little bit of mixing in. Yeah, I, I think you just saved the metaphor, because sometimes you just want Briars vanilla. Sometimes you don't need, like, the super fan stuff you know sometimes you just want like you know good brand vanilla ice cream you know just a fine vanilla ice cream 
And I think that that's yeah. what Catch Twenty Two is, and I think it's like it, it's that, but at at a at a time where I'm really ready to eat that, where I, I that's that's what I want today, uh, right? And and I get your point, and I and I do. I w- I would I would posit this as like just a thing to chew on. I'm not you know making a, a necessarily like a declarative statement on it. Um, if if we have flashes before your eyes, and then we have Catch Twenty Two, and it's like a silent flashback. Let's say it's 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 what you're proposing. Does that uh, diminish the impact of an episode as special as the constant you know like i think Mm. i think that like the constant is is an episode that pops so hard because there's just like there's nothing quite like it other than flashes before your eyes i don't know i i don't think so because again i feel like it is super unique i think there's a good amount of time off between these episodes as well and again it's it's not doing if this if it did a similar flashing around time then i would say so yes but i feel like it's still distinctly unique you know it's, it's a weird sandwich but i'm t- i'm basically saying like hey we can change up this meat a little bit instead of going with just like the lunch meat though to your point if you're in the mood for lunch meat then then get that oscar meyer baby we're pretty hungry huh i mean <laughs> apparently so <laughs> uh, all right so the flashback is here's brother campbell uh brother campbell is like man you know you showed up here you were a chatty kathy and i i really didn't think that you were gonna make it des but you made it you didn't talk you took the vow of silence, uh, and congratulations, you did. Now it. you're one of us, and he says that was last week, brother. Yeah, uh, and Desmond says, "Oh, thank you, brother." And I really wish that brother Cam was like, "Up," oh, but I didn't say you could talk yet, so you just oh. failed. Like no, like oh, now you guys start over again. Yeah, no. So he passes. He passes the test, or he just like punches him on the arm, like a punch buggy type of thing, or twice for flinching. I like it. Uh, back at the island on the beach. Uh, Desmond and Hurley are coming to Jack for uh, a first date. Yeah, and aid Jack's, Jack's got a wardrobe change. He's rocking the nice, like, shirtless, bright red shirt. Yeah. How do we feel about that? Uh, I think it's fine. I don't think red is Matthew Fox's color, if we're being completely honest. Uh, but maybe that's also showing, like, the giant target he has on his back after last Ooh. week of him, like, supporting Juliet and nobody really trusting him now. Yeah. Uh, he is the, the, what do they call the people who have the, the, the red flag in the bowl arena. Oh, the the the, the Matadors. The Matadors. That's it. Matador Fox. Yeah, the Matthew Adore Fox. Matthew Adore Fox. Uh, and I like how Desmond's like, yeah, I just I I sprained my ankle, and Jack's like, oh, do you want me to look at it? And Desmond's like, no, I fixed my share of ankles. And Jack's like, oh yeah, you did that. Oh, for I me remember once. that tortoise dog. Yeah. yeah. Remember how we don't talk about that anymore? <laughs> and everyone's like, oh yeah, uh, we're just gonna let that go. Uh, but uh, we get a glimpse here of how Hurley again. Hurley's gotten a little more into like his his skills, but he still is not the best liar. He like very meekly, grittingly says through his teeth, "They're like, oh yeah, Desmond and I are friends. I love That's that. why I'm with you." It cracks me up. He's like, "What? Everything all right?" Hurley's like, "Yeah, I'm just here with Desmond because uh, we're friends." And Desmond looks at him like, "Huh?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he and Desmond are going to talk, and Desmond's telling him like, "Yeah, so I saw this like crazy series of flashes. It's like a jigsaw puzzle." If I tell you what I saw, then the picture on the box is going to change. It's a whole thing. And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, well, Hurley's on board. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this. Uh, but aren't we typically like trying to like stop the thing from happening? He's like, not this time. Not this time. The thing I want to have happen, I want more than anything in the world. Yeah, except except for Charlie's life. That's the one stopping point. Yeah, but he's still maybe going to think about... Uh, yeah, at this that. point, he's like, oh, I think I'm okay with it. There's a chance Penny, I might be seeing Penny for the first time in three years. Like, I've got the love goggles on. So I love the Jungle Cruise storyline in this episode, but another reason why I love Catch-22 is I think that there is a great Sawyer storyline happening in this one. Uh, and it begins... 
here with Sawyer uh, knocking on Kate's door. Hey, Freckles, you home? Thought you weren't allowed to use nicknames. Well, you weren't around when I lost the bet. So you're... Exempt. What's up? Uh, I wanted to ask you something. Yeah? I'm up here. Uh... Did you tell him? Did I tell who what? You know, just tell the doc. About you and me. No. But he knows. He saw us in one of their surveillance monitors. She said the camera was broken. Well, they had another camera. Perverts. Anyway, he knows. Well, now that... That's out of the way. What a little afternoon delight. Come on, Sparkles, wait. You need me to make you a mixtape? Yeah, why don't you do that? So, Josh, I know you said this is a fun Sawyer storyline. I noticed you didn't say it was a fun Kate storyline, though. Uh, you know, for Kate, it's a it's a little harder. Uh, I think you know it's a it's a it's a tougher time for Kate. But I I think that there's some great Josh Holloway work going on here. I I do like the the Sawyer and Kate banter a lot, though. I have to say. Uh, I mean, it's it's very evocative of season one, right? Like season two, they were separated for so long. Season three, there's a lot of like tempestuous drama going on that I think we're definitely wanting for this. I'm not. I mean, though, you know, this feels a little. This scene feels a little lascivious, both from Sawyer's perspective of the whole afternoon delight euphemism and the fact that we walk in on like the shot of Evangeline Lilly's underwear as she puts on her pants. But I guess that's what they're going for with this particular storyline. Right. So. And I, I just like seeing them together for the first time in a while. And also that like a lot of that, like uh, th- like the very like big serious tension is, is gone because they're not in the cages anymore. And we're, you know, a few worlds away from them just like fighting and stranger in a strange land uh, that to your point that it is closer to like, some of their earlier dynamics on the show. Uh, except now with like the added element of like, there are a couple, you know? Uh, and I, the whole idea of like the mixtape cracks me up. Yeah. The mixtape I think is probably the strongest part of this. Again, you know, I, I will not, I'll try not to impugn this storyline too much because it's, it's a love quadrangle thing, but like, one maybe two of the corners are fun and maybe it's more so that the other two corners sort of sort of bring it down but uh, you know there is some interesting character furthering within this what might be considered on the surface as rote like okay we're just continuing the will they won't they of, of everybody here on the island romantically speaking and i think to your point i think it centers on sawyer and his various relationships with other people and and what he pursues to do which is also speaking to a bit of the more like lighthearted post you know return sawyer that we see in season three here prior to the events of the brig i think it's also another one of the reasons why i feel like this this episode has some trisha tanaka energy is because that's like a a lot stemming on uh sawyer hurley charlie and Jin. uh and there is the hurley charlie Jin storyline with desmond in the sawyer spot sort of uh but sawyer also your boy sawyer has has a big storyline this episode as well uh so i i just i i really like what they do with the character this week uh i enjoy sort of like 
much in the same way that like the montage last week was rooted in Sawyer's perspective. I think that there's a lot of good beach stuff that's rooted in Sawyer's perspective this week as well. Um, so Desmond and Hurley are going to go and recruit Jin. Uh, they're bringing Jin along because Jin's part of the vision. And Des was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get him on with the, with the trip. And Hurley's like, watch the master. And this, these are shades of like the original Repo Man designs for, for yeah. Hurley. Yeah, this is sort of like, I mean, it's, it's a Hurley's pitch though, which is, you know, pun intended, soft, uh, where he's like, hey, come camping. We'll sleep under the stars, fire on the beach, marshmallows. And Jin says, Who doesn't yes, love marshmallows? And something I noticed that, again, is also evocative of Trisha Chinaka is dead, but it's also a big step in specifically like season five, Jin being able to basically be fluent in English. A lot more of English speaking and English hearing Jin in this episode. He's come a long way from the uh, the I was r- wrong, you were right. Yeah, like he knows what camping is, so he likes the idea of camping. Uh, and he also probably remembers like, hey, you know, that whole Trisha Tanaka thing was really fun. Uh, and Hurley wants me to go on another, like, this This could be a good time. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll like, say like yes. He, he trusts in her. Like, he he might not know what a marshmallow is, nor does he like it. Uh, but you know what? He's going to say, if Hurley's on board, then I'm on board. Uh, but they need one more person, and it's got to be Charlie. Uh, and Desmond's going to make the pitch. And Charlie knows this isn't a camping trip. He knows it's, it's more future stuff. Uh, and he's like, am I, so am I going to die? Like, if I come with you... Am I going to get shot in the throat with an arrow? And it's like, no, no way. Absolutely not. No. Uh, not going to happen. Not this time. No chance. No chance. Not this time. Uh, so he's going he's gonna to recruit Charlie along for the ride. Uh, and Charlie's like, hey, can I bring my guitar? And Desmond loves this because the guitar is part of the vision. Um, Charlie bringing his guitar without his guitar case and just exposing it to the elements like that on an overnight trip feels like a very bad decision for uh, a musician who values his guitar above almost all else on this tropical island i mean it could be that he sort of feels like i've weathered the storm like this guitar has been through everything it's a lucky guitar i mean ironically enough i don't know if you noticed this josh but when we run into the arrow in reality instead of it piercing charlie's neck it pierces the neck of the guitar yeah, that's right uh, so i think that was what sort of another much like desmond setting up here sort of like build that they had to do maybe desmond's like okay you could bring the guitar but don't bring the bloody case yeah uh, or maybe charlie just wanted the ability to carry it on his back which would be much bulkier if he brought the case as opposed to just putting the guitar strapping it into his backpack and then you know moving on so charlie's on board and now we've got the quartet the jungle crew they're all together but first they are the beach crew and uh as the beach crew this is the first thing that happens once they are all on their journey together I adore that moment so much. Uh, the the bridge on the River Kwai of it all, like it's just, it's such a, it's such a, it, it is such like a fun pop culture touchstone, and just the imagery of the four of them walking, whistling along, and like Jin just picking up the tune. Like, did he know it? Like, early. I Charlie- definitively did not. I don't think King Daddy Kwan is screening those types of films. I for don't. Him. I don't think so either. So. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just like more to the point of the levity of this storyline for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a cute scene. You, I mean, I'll I'll call you out, Josh. You wrote in your notes. This is one of my favorite scenes on Lost, and I, I'm a, I, I think that's a little hyperbolic. 
I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it tremendously. Why are you trying to yuck my yum? I don't want to yuck your yum, especially as the guy who said that, uh, you know, one of his favorite lines is Dear Goo Goo Gaga, which also we should announce, uh, you know, very much ablatedly, but happy birthday to Baby Sawyer. Yes, absolutely. Happy birthday to Baby Sawyer. Goo Goo Gaga to you. Indeed, Baby Sawyer. Uh, yeah, I love this. I, I, it's got for all the same reasons that I that I love like when Lost is being whimsical. Uh, it just makes me happy to see some of my favorite characters on television having a moment where they're just like trekking along without a care in the world. Sure, Desmond's got a lot of worries. Yeah, absolutely, he's got a lot of cares in the world. And you, you'll note that he is not whistling. But I, I love. I there's there's a couple of scenes in this episode. That just bring me tremendous joy. Uh, we're coming up on another one pretty soon here. Uh, uh, do you do you think that all four of those actors? I mean, I guess three of them knew how to whistle. Do you think there was any ADR going on? Uh, I I don't know why I would suspect that any of them don't know how to whistle. I mean, I guess I'll admit, as someone who does not know how to whistle himself, that's something I always wonder. Yeah, I figured they probably are 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 whistling around. I would assume that there's uh, very likely some some ADR stuff going on with it. You know, to, yeah, because there's probably like roaring yeah, waves behind them. Yeah, up the whistling on, on you know. <laughs> well, I, we can't really hear the whistling, guys. Yeah. Whistle louder. Yeah, I think that it makes sense that they would need to to record that after the fact. Uh, yeah, this just makes me happy every damn time. Uh, I I'll never forget see like, and this is the first scene of an act. Uh, so coming back from commercial to this, I don't know. It's like a tone setter for me. Uh, mm. You know, it 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 sets the. I, I love all four of these characters so much. I think it's a it's another one to like that point of like I really like it when like uh, a crew of characters that you don't necessarily expect to be hanging out together or hanging out together. Uh, this four definitely qualifies uh, for that for that uh, benchmark for me. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we're getting into some of the more fun camping elements later on. Who knew that uh, the whistling is is a camp activity that maybe maybe Hurley talked about Jin. You get to whistle while you work, and Jin's like, "Oh my god, yeah. it's been a while since I've whistled." Finally, yeah. Uh, so they find the wire. It's all lining up. Desmond's vision is is uh, coming together. They're like, "All right, let's follow it into the jungle." Uh, and they're like, "Ah, no, it's getting dark. Let's camp out here. We're gonna hang out here uh, for the night." And uh, you know, this is. From Desmond's point of view, like he's seeing the, the flash forward of the blinking light in the sky that hasn't happened yet. Clearly, they're on the beach for that. So he's like, let's park it until that goes down. Yeah, and Charlie has some good logic, too, here as well. Of Like, I'm not going out into the middle of the... Oh, well, so I'll talk about that later when they actually see the thing. But like, no, we're not going to run out into the middle of the darkness with arrows being fired everywhere. So Charlie is clearly, like, seeing through this logically. And Desmond, ironically enough, is, is the more emotional person. But that's because of, obviously, the more emotional link to why this exact circumstances need to play out in the way that they do. So, uh, flashback time... We are going to see uh, some some uh, wine labeling action. We're packing some wine up. Uh, mm-hmm. Mariah Vineyards. Mariah as, Carey. As, the, as uh, the, the son-in-law of people who run a winery, this is an activity I am all too familiar with. Though I will say I think their wine is not nearly as uh, expensive and elusive as the Mariah does here. With $100 a bottle, I think they said. Yeah. 100 quid. Yeah, it's expensive bottles of wine here. Uh, and it's named Moriah's the mountain where Abraham was asked to kill Isaac. It's also, uh, I've been doing so much Bible study these past couple of weeks, uh, but apparently Moriah is also a, a wind of death and pestilence that accompanied war in terms of the apocalypse of it all. But also the angel who wrestled Jacob, if you know your, uh, your angels in America, you know that story, 
was named Mariah. Hmm. Yeah, he was a keeper of records and an archivist of all the genealogies as well. So there's something about this idea of like, uh, you know, keeping a record of time. I think that that speaks to Desmond's future as well. So uh, Desmond's like uh, kind of bleak uh, to be calling this wine Mariah after the whole Abraham and Isaac stuff. Uh, and Brother Kemp was like, eh, maybe you didn't read the story. You know, it's about sacrifice. It's about yeah, what you're but willing I, but to I, do. Yeah, but I like Desmond pointing out, like, yeah, you know, God was kind of a dick yeah. to be like, hey, how much do you love me? Would you kill your son for it? I, like, JK, but just wondering. Uh, here comes Derek. Derek, <laughs> uh, Desmond's would-have-been brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my brother-in-law. brother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, and he comes in and just knocks Desmond straight in the face. And I, I went back and forth like, does this guy get an MVP point or an LVP point for this? And I think he gets an LVP point for uh, not having uh, the ability to hold himself back from punching somebody in the face at a church. I also just wonder, like, what the purpose was it of was it? Like, was he was he seeking out Desmond, finally found him and wanted to give him a piece of his mind? Yeah, was he, like, encouraging so. Desmond to come find Ruth? No, I think it was like he couldn't hold it. Like, he found out where he was, he sought him out, and he punched him uh, right in the I face. don't know. This guy's no Jimmy Lennon, that's for sure. Yeah, Jimmy Lennon cricket bat. Jimmy Lennon! Cricket bat. Uh, so he punches Desmond in the face. Desmond's like, oh, I'm so sorry, brother. Uh, so that's that's uncomfortable. That's awkward. Uh, speaking of uncomfortable and awkward, uh, a, another scene... I'm sorry, I really like this one. I like this episode a lot. And this is a Kate scene. And I really like this Kate scene. It's Kate and Jack. They're in the pantry. Uh, They're going to have a very strange exchange in the pantry that we will listen to now. Hey. Hey. The oatmeal's awesome. It is, huh? It's strange, huh? What's that? Being back. Not looking for a way out of a cage. Not finding a reason to go running off into the jungle again. I almost don't know what to do with myself. Well, enjoy it. I'm sure something will go wrong soon enough. (laughs) Well, my big dangerous adventure for tonight is going to be doing the dishes in the ocean. Be careful. I'll try. Um, can I borrow that spoon? Yeah. Thanks. I mean, this is awkward. It's supposed to be so uh, awkward. This so probably awkward. the I would I would go so far as to say this might be the like the most awkward stuff since the days of like Michael and Son. Will they? Won't they? That they tried to do early on. Yeah, and like I think it's a very earned awkwardness. Things between Jack and Kate are strange right now. It's not like Jack is like he he doesn't come across as like vindictive towards Kate for choosing Sawyer. Like he he seems to have accepted that. Um, but it makes that dynamic uncomfortable. They don't quite have what they had right now. Uh, Yeah, and so I I feel that. I think it's fine, but an ultimately unnecessary scene. I guess you sort of want to build up what makes Kate immediately want to go to Sawyer, which is what we're 
we're getting into, and it's not necessarily a scene that we are meant to delight in. I mean, you know, Evangeline Lilly and Matthew Fox have really great chemistry as well, uh, and I guess it is sort of reaffirming what we found out in Left Behind, but to that point, it, it's reaffirming and not necessarily any anything new, in my opinion. No, but I, I like seeing Jack is back at the beach and reintegrating with uh, the culture here, and it's like him and Kate having their first moment just alone together with no pressure uh, in terms of like they're neither of them have been locked up in anything. Uh, neither of them have been gassed by the others. <laughs> they are just, you know, we're short one spoon. I guess I got to use your dirty spoon in order uh, to have, which is like 2020 us. We're like, what no, are you doing? No, don't eat the spoon. Don't share the spoon. Germs. <laughs> that way lies death. That place. What is, is death. wrong with you? That spoon is death. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that part was triggering for sure. <laughs> that was really hard to watch this week. Uh, but other than that, like, I, I appreciate this, that, um, you know, we, we still don't fully know where Jack is at. And I think, like, we are, we're more in Kate's headspace right now than we are in Jack's. Like, we know, yes. what, we know what Kate's all about right now. We know what she wants. We know where she stands with just about everything. But Jack is still a little bit at a remove. So I, I appreciate getting that reinforced from this uh, this scene uh, of being in Kate's shoes, trying to small talk with Jack. He's just small talking back. It's harmless, but it's just what was there just isn't there right now. And she's like watching from a distance as Jack and Juliet are doing their thing. And of course, we know that in the end, um, you know, Kate and Jack are going to have a very long relationship together mm-hmm. for several years. Um, they end uh, in their afterlife thing together. Like we know that in the in the long haul of of the show, at the very least, that they are end game. Um, so you are wondering, like, when she is watching Jack sit down with Juliet. Uh, you know, Sawyer's going to accuse her later of being like, "If you want to use me, like, just say so. Like, it's totally fine." Um, like, is that what's going on here? Is this just like Kate still? Uh, you know, she she does care deeply about Jack. And she's just feeling like immensely uncomfortable and and ripped up about everything that's going on. I I think it's a distinctly human moment what happens here. But, you know, human moments, as we've talked about many, many times on this show, can sometimes be very unsavory here. She just immediately like goes back to Sawyer. I mean, I feel kind of bad for Sawyer here because as has been proven, even in the stuff like you mentioned before with like the, uh, you know, the post Hydra stuff, like he very clearly has feelings for her. She very clearly knows that, but does not seem to really have that many strong feelings for him. And so for her to go back and do this is pretty manipulative. But again, I can understand where at least her headspace is at it. You know, there I'm sure there are people, I'm sure ourselves included, or maybe in different situations who were so, uh, you know, head over heels for somebody that when we felt like our hearts got broken, we sort of ended up falling for or with somebody else, even when you didn't necessarily like them. And that's what hap- what's happening with Kate here. I am not excusing the actions because, spoiler alert, she's going to earn an LVP point from me for doing this. But at the same time, the, the logic at least tracks, even if it's not like the, the best stuff to watch from Kate's perspective. Yeah, Sawyer doesn't seem to mind. I mean, listen, Sawyer's getting looking. I mean, Sawyer's gotten like three times as much nookie as he got during his first month on the island. So, yeah. like, he's been batting a thousand right now. Yeah, things are going great for Sawyer. So they 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 make the bond in Avatar parlance. Uh, who had that on the bingo card? Uh, and yeah, that's great. They're you know you don't have to tell Sawyer twice to shut up. Uh, <laughs> shut up and don't talk. She says, okay. And he's like, uh, you all get any enchiladas? Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, can we get some, uh, do we have any uh, green salsa to, to pour <laughs> on my chest here? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you, you don't know what I'm into, Freckles, especially now that we have the means. It's not all going to be fish biscuits here, I'll tell you that. All right, how about this? Another favorite scene of mine uh, in Lost. And if you don't know this by now, Mike, they're like all my favorite scenes. This is my favorite <laughs> show. So, you know, uh, if, I, if I say something's my favorite scene, it's like a it's like a 4,000-way tie. Oh, yeah, uh, I was going to say, this more so like you just have a very big boat for yeah, favorites. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and so here here's the camping trip. And, uh, yeah, let's just listen. You can, you'll picture it. Josh, I'm going to go so far as to say, not only do I love this scene, this is a Mount Rushmore Jinsu Kwan oh, moment on Lost. It's so great. It's so great. The ghost story, uh, which uh, uh, Ben Martell notes for us in our document here that we have at our disposal, uh, it translates to, and the girl turned to the man who saved her and said, thank God, I was afraid you were the hook man. And the man looked at the girl with a smile and said, don't worry, little girl, my hook is still in your father's head. Yeah, and then everybody screams uh, and laughs in delight. I do love Charlie's accompaniment as well, even though I don't think it really matches up. But maybe acoustic guitar is not right for, like, scary stories. You know, it's more so about, like, campfire songs and less about creating dirges and minor chords. It's great. It's very discordant and creepy and unsettling, but just, like, adds to the comedy. Daniel Day Kim is so fun here. I, I love that Jin does voices, because, again, this is so different from the season one hard-ass Jin that we're used to seeing. Like, this is Jin sort of letting loose, feeling in his element finally letting go of what was off the island and what he felt like he had to steal himself to that now he's like making bonds with people i mean it, it really is an incredible i'm gonna have to do some like thinking offline especially with a, a quan episode coming up next week as to like what the mountain rushmore of gin and sun moments are separately on lost because this has to be up there very very high on the list at the very least uh you know there you know this and trisha tanaka has has a few like the whole uh, those pants don't make you look fat is is high on there too but Jin's just a great character, and I, I, I love that, like you said, like this is a very far cry from where he used to be, and I feel like this is like a Jin who is now feeling like he can let loose. This is a Jin who feels like he's made friends here. Uh, he can feel comfortable being himself, even if they don't all speak the same exact language. Um, one thing that they do communicate towards each other is a lot of warmth towards one another. Uh, and I think that Jin has had a lot of reasons to feel a lot of warmth, especially towards Hurley at this point. Uh, and I, I love the way that the two of them are connecting here. Uh, yeah. It's just a great, very funny, but really human moment. And it's shot beautifully. Um, like the, It's very haunting, but like not in a way that you're scared by, but in a way that just puts a smile on your face. Um, it's It's such a delight. It's such a delight. It's It's... A, a really delightful moment in an episode that is filled with delightful moments for me. I mean, listen, I know I am biased in my Quan love. This might be my favorite part of the episode, if I'm being quite honest. For sure. Based on a, a character that I love, it's some great levity. It might be arguably the funniest part of the episode, and it's a great little, like, 
character study as well in a time where as we've talked about the past few weeks we were still sort of marinating in this area of the first three seasons of lost of like let's take some downtime at camp to do this fun stuff before we move into the action-packed aspect of the last three seasons so i'm happy to sort of take a break sit down eat some marshmallows and hear Jin tell a story about a hook-handed man and do all the parts uh so uh charlie's gonna break away he's gonna talk to desmond he sees the photo of penny uh, not bad, Des. Not bad at all. Feels like I'm going to see her in a couple of weeks, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Desmond's talking about, like, I, you know, uh, I ran away from her, but she tracked me down once. It makes me wonder if she's been looking for me these last three years. And just like that. I also that. like that uh, Desmond, like, says, you know, uh, I ran away from her because I was a coward. And Charles is like, oh, man, now I feel really bad for calling you a coward before. Now I realize that really is a trigger uh, of trigger yours. Trigger word. Trigger word. Yeah, uh, no wonder you tried to beat me up before. Yeah. Uh, so there's the chopper in the sky. Uh, drops off into the ocean, but they see the red light. Uh, and they're like, oh, let's go follow that. And they're like, ah, but also at the same time, you know, it's kind of dark. It's going to be yeah. light in two hours. So these guys are pulling a rager, by the way, we should say. And, and it's a little bit of like a roller coaster here in this one pre-act scene, because when we see the chopper go down, it's like the momentary futility of Desmond's mission of like, wow, you thought everything was going fine, and now it went down. But then it's momentarily saved by this beacon. I do wonder, Josh, because we're going to get into choppers very soon with the Frank Lapidus of it all coming up next season. What happened to this chopper? Was it some sort of like electromagnetism thing? Was did something improperly happen on the chopper that made it go down? Yeah, I don't I don't remember if we ever get uh, a full story on this. Yeah, I don't I don't think we see Naomi jumping from the chopper, nor do I think we hear hair nor hide of what happened. So I guess my assumption is maybe they were on the wrong bearing or who knows? Maybe if Smokey can go up super high, maybe he flew into the engine just to f with people yeah. uh i don't know it, it's it's interesting because you would think that this might be another piece of island phenomena but we're gonna see a chopper fly back and forth from the island multiple times coming up in the next season you know it's a big deal that an unidentified flying object has just dropped out oh, of the sky what if it was a ufo you know well it is you know they don't know what that is necessarily and like it's it's very unusual for Lost at this point. So there's a sense of urgency to this episode that maybe doesn't feel quite as sharp um, on the rewatch. Like, if you know the full events of the show, because there's such, like, bigger Tada moments. Right, and, and it's also because you know the end game, right? Like, what this ends up becoming. Right. I think the weight of these moments of, like, rescue of, oh, my God, they could finally get off the island. When you know that they do and it does not go well, then it, it definitely, I think, maybe holds less dramatic weight when in the moment, to your point, whether you're watching from home or within your college buddies, you're like, holy crap, they could actually get off the island here. This was a really big episode on the first watch. Uh, like, I, I have very vivid memories and very fond memories of this episode because like, it's not just like very light and uh, filled with really great character moments, but it is really mythologically significant. It is, it is such a big deal that somebody's come to the island. Like, that is a, an enormous deal. We are, you know, two seasons, almost three full seasons into this thing now, and people are arriving. That's that is that is yeah. hugely significant. And um, especially with the fact that by the end of the episode, it's somebody who we have no idea who this person is. So like you're but obviously has an idea of who Desmond and Penny are. Um, you know, it was it was a real uh, it was real fuel for the fire in terms of like trying to figure out and puzzle out like where is this thing going? What is going on here? Is this uh, a Hanzo Foundation person? Is it the Return of the Garmin Initiative? Like, who the uh, back knows? in the day when we thought the Hanzo Foundation had significance in lost mythology, you know. So it's 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 cool. I I you know I I have a lot of uh, nostalgia for this one because uh, right. this was one of those episodes for uh, for season three 
that felt like um we were in like this point of season three by the time we get here where it feels like there are some like very important leaps forward that are happening. Catch twenty two, mm-hmm. I think, is underlooked in that regard, but uh is very memorable for me as like an episode that found this really wonderful balance between being like a really good character piece, but also one that is pushing a lot of the ball forward down the field. Yeah, though I'd say that, you know, the ball push really comes at the last bit, but I do think that also the mystery of the chopper allows both Desmond and us to really have this idea rattling around in our heads of who can it be? Oh, it's most likely Penny. And then there is a bit of, we'll get into this give and take with Desmond's expectations as to, well, it's not Penny, but wait, maybe it is, but they're dead. But wait, oh, it actually is. Al- they're alive, but they're not Penny. There's really a lot of like emotional toying if you have an investment at this point. And I do wonder from those who, cause we do have a good, num- a good number of uh, DTH listeners who like, Binge the season a bunch recently for the first time, uh, anticipation for this podcast without having watched Lost before. I would be intrigued to hear from you if at the time you were as fixated on this idea of like off the island rescue in a binge non week to week setting as we were back in the spring of two thousand seven. In a binge non week to week setting, um, I don't, I, I can't speak to that. You know, like I, have, yeah, exactly. I have no idea. That's why I'm I'm very intrigued to pull the listeners here as to, at the time, if it was like, wow, I can't believe this is a thing. Though I also do wonder if the importance of this, almost like we talked about with other episodes, almost like solitary becomes more important when you realize the B storyline of Hurley becoming leader of the island. When the Naomi storyline becomes like one of the most important storylines for the next five episodes, does that give more weight to this as well as, you know, in the moment, it's, it's more so about the mystery of like, Oh, someone parachuted down. I wonder who they are. Right. Uh, all right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, gather ourselves. This is a big event. A helicopter is just falling out of the sky. Let's take a quick break to just process what that means for us emotionally. We'll be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply this episode is made possible by pwc it's getting hot out here Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. All right, we are back. And oh, ding dong, it's Desmond at the door. <laughs> there he is. Uh, flashback time for Desmond, uh, who is walking in to, to, to sweet Ruth's home. Derek's there. To his credit, he doesn't give Desmond uh, another knock on the nose. Yeah, uh, at least like uh, maybe because Ruth was there and maybe she sort of is like the the one to soothe the savage beast. But I mean, Ruth has every reason to be angry here. Uh, Desmond sits down with Ruth. We basically find out that he and Ruth, Ruth were meant to be betrothed. And one week before the wedding, during their six years of courting, Desmond up and leaves, does not give nary a hint as to where he went off to, but left Ruth not necessarily at the altar, but nearly there. 
Yeah, again, uh, while this is an episode that is like in, in the league of just like the truly great episodes of Lost for me, uh, Desmond. What are you doing, guy? Very, very bad. Ugly <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this is really supposed to display, like, that this is a guy who will, like, go wherever the wind blows if that wind happens to be blowing him in a direction of, like, he just had that gut feeling in that moment of, like, I don't feel like I'm right doing this. He drinks to excess, blacks out, and maybe it was Brother Campbell, maybe it was just a monk, helps him up, and Desmond feels in that moment that he is personally driven to ditch his fiance without giving her any inclination and become a monk. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she's, what does she say? She's like, next time you want to break up with someone, don't join the monastery. Just tell the girl you're too bloody scared. How was that? Pretty good? Close? I mean, it was probably no. as good as the actresses. Uh, I believe uh, the, the actress herself is not Scottish. And you could kind of tell. Uh, just know. because, like you said, it is a little bit of like a fat bastard-esque voice yeah, that she puts like on. It feels like a Scrooge McDuck impression. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, Yo, now I'm going to go dive into my pool of pennies to drown out <laughs> my, my misery. Golden pennies at the heart of the island. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and it's just all faces of Sonya Walker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much we need to get into this. No, uh, I mean, it, again, it just shows that, like, Desmond is all about uh, a greater calling, even if it's leading him to do bad things. But also, like, no wonder Desmond sort of has uh, a trigger warning about being a coward. Like, essentially, for the past 12, 13 years, everyone's been calling him one. So I think it, it makes sense that this is the word that really cuts deep. Well, he's been internalizing it, too. And, like, even though, like, he's been feeling pulled towards, like, other uh, elements of life you know, uh, like, deeper into, like, some higher purpose that he feels he's meant for or something that he feels like, I'm not supposed to be here, I'm supposed to be there. That there is not manifesting cleanly for him at the very least right now. Um, so I, I think, like, that's relatable content. Uh, yeah, I mean, know? I think we're, we're going to get to this later on, but honestly, I think the most relatable line, and maybe one of my favorite lines from the episode from, from Brother Campbell was, you spent too much time running away to realize what you may be running towards. And honestly, from like a life perspective, I am somebody who only took until lately to realize, at least in the moment, what I want to do. And, and Josh, you're definitely a, a person to thank for that orientation, but I can absolutely sympathize with this idea of like, no, I, I know I don't want to do this, and I know I don't want to do this, and I know I don't want to do this, but you really have no idea of what you want to be doing. It's unhealthy, but it is very relatable of more so being concerned about like, well, I definitely don't want to be this, that you're less concerned about what you are striving to be. I don't know if it's, I don't know if I would say unhealthy necessarily. I don't know what I would say. It's messy for sure. I, I think it's, it's unhealthy in that I think it is, there is certainly value in figuring out what you don't want to do, but I think it's a probably more fruitful exercise to look and say like, okay, this is what I do want to do. Whether from like a relationship perspective, whether from an employment perspective, I don't know. I, I've had that, that sh mental change significantly in the past couple of years. And I've realized it is far healthier to do that because you at least have something to work towards rather than you just creating a list of no's. You get one big yes on the board. And I think that's more of a guiding point, a beacon, if you will. Yeah, I, I and I definitely hear that. I, I think that like knowing when something is not right for you um, and acting on that is uh, to, you know, to, to like extricate from yourself yourself from something like that. It's often going to be messy. Uh, there's often going to be like 
no really clean, good way to do that. There are probably better ways for Desmond to have handled this situation. Um, oh, but it, most definitely, yeah. including, number one, uh, why don't you let Ruth know that you're not going to marry her? Yeah, uh, I, I guess, like, to some degree, it's, like, this idea of, um, you know, the the best time to have done this was, you know, yesterday, uh, yeah, something that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. The second best time is right now, you know, and so like at least it's happening. I don't know. It, I I think it's really human. I think it's human. It's, not it's, great. it's incredibly human. You know, I think it's not great. I think it's really human. Uh, hume in <laughs> exactly, Mike. and that's the and I can understand that people. You know, I, I can understand that people are not fans of the flashback because they're like, this really does not show Desmond in a good light. And again, my issues with the flashback don't lie with that because I do not want a perfect character on Lost necessarily. I, I want three dimensions. And oftentimes that third dimension is going to show colors that you don't necessarily like. And that's fine. It makes discussion like these more interesting than just us coming around Chris Farley style every Desmond scene saying, yeah, isn't Desmond awesome? Yeah, he really is. Like, Desmond does some shitty stuff. He does. Both on island and in the flashback in this episode. For sure. Uh, all right, let's go back to the island uh, and let's get to uh, some more Sawyer stuff. My boy Sawyer in this episode. Uh, great scene with him and Jack coming up. You a doctor or a carpenter? What, your dad never taught you to use a hammer? No, my dad taught me how to drink. Well, at least it's something. Hope I'm not interrupting. You two arguing over who's your favorite other. What do you want, Sawyer? Well, what I wanted, Doc, was to inform you there's been some development since you were AWOL. So tell me. How's your backhand? Where'd you get the tape? Don't you recognize it? Fell out of purple haze. That's what blam on. We don't play every 108 minutes. Island's going to Finally, something I can beat you at. You know, considering I haven't played since I was 12, I wouldn't be too proud. Is that 18 point? It's kind of strange, huh? Being back. <laughs> something funny? Uh... Kate said the same thing in the kitchen last night. She did, huh? She did. 19 point. So you guys ate together, huh? No, Juliet and I had dinner together last night. Two out of three? You got it. So, Josh, this begs the question for me, because we saw after the whole uh, Hurley school Sawyer and ping pong that Sawyer is practicing with Hurley when Expose comes around. Do you think, to make up for the whole poker debacle from lockdown, that Sawyer has been lying in wait <laughs> training to find something he can beat Jack uh, at? And he said, all right, Hurley, I know you're really good at ping pong. You teach me, because if and when the doc comes back, I'm going to school him I'll in ping pong. I'll be ready for him. 
Yeah, uh, it's a shame that we didn't get like a training montage uh, of Sawyer <laughs> with Ping Pong, just like a push it to the limit. Yeah, exactly. You're the best around. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Uh, I love. I you know how I feel about sports in the real world uh, versus how I feel about sports on Lost. Like, mm-hmm. there's like few things I love more than sports on Lost. <laughs> <laughs> So I I love ping pong on Lost. I'm not going to get mad at uh, Jack and Sawyer just like taking a breather to play ping pong together. I think that's going to be very, very fun. Yeah, I mean, I I will say I, this is a really great interaction between these two characters who, this is another thing, like, sort of what you talk about with the Jack and Kate stuff of, like, how are Jack and Sawyer going to interact? Because Sawyer, super antagonistic towards Juliet last week. It seems like maybe his suspicions have calmed down a little bit. Maybe Juliet's ponage of him and Saeed made him uh, not necessarily pursue that line of thinking. So it's nice to see him, you know, come back together with who he claimed was his best friend at the end of season two. I will say, I, again, I don't think the Kate part of this scene is really necessary. I guess it is for Sawyer to come back and be like, oh, yeah, I was being used. But honestly, my favorite part of this scene was just these two batting both words in a CGI ball back and forth. And to that point, when we get past the Kate stuff again to the best two out of three, you got it is, is you know, it's, it's a really nice uh, way to bring the scene back to that element. Well, yeah, it's another thing of like where where Sawyer is at at this point. I feel like he gets... You know, that's like something that could have been really stuck in his craw back in the day. But like when he's going to go to Kate later, he's like, you know, you, you can just tell me like, it's fine. Like, I, I think like there is just with the Sawyer stuff, there's some element to me that feels like a day in the life of James Sawyer Ford on the island. Mm. Uh, like it's undramatic. Uh, and like there's a, a very fair argument that it's like, if not boring, then unessential. Uh, in a sense, mm. like, and, and I'm I'm fine with that if that's your take. I totally get that. It. Yeah, that's that's my take. And I, I think that. that there's there's enjoyable stuff to watch here, but I feel like I, I'm not sure what exactly is furthered here. But again, it's they're nothing burgers, not disgusting burgers. So I, and it brings us like fun little moments like this. And I, I hope I'm trying to think, Josh, is this the last time we see Island Ping Pong? Hmm. Um. Yeah. I think. Wow, so Sawyer retires like the champion, yeah, I guess. he does. He does. Good for Sawyer. He deserves to win something. So, you know, my, my take, which is not new, is this is my favorite show. These are my favorite characters. Love these people. And my favorite thing about Lost is spending time with them. So, mm. you know, this is... It, it should come as no shock that this kind of content is extreme Josh Wiggler Lost content. Uh, Josh Wiggler loves this type of shit. Josh Wiggler talks about himself in the third person now. Um, <laughs> all right, so in uh, on the jungle trek, it's getting a little contentious between Desmond and Charlie, uh, and and Her- and Hurley really uh, wants to take a break. He's not yeah, interested. Yeah, and this in is the Desmond's Desmond's kind of being an ass here because again, he feels like he needs to get to this destination. So Hurley's like, I'm a like I'm having a coordinator. Desmond's like, No, you're not. Yeah, like d- don't worry about it. And and that's when uh, you're like, Okay, Desmond's uh, maybe Hurley's not friends with Desmond anymore. The the tepid friendship has at least uh, you know maybe gone a bit sour in this moment. That people have been meaner to Hurley, and he's been welcoming of them back into his life. So I'm sure he's all right. He's all right here. Yeah, uh, but I know. don't know. I feel like that's it's less about being mean to Hurley and more about being him being like I. I am really out of breath and not doing well and being like, you're fine. That feels a little different than like calling him fat, like Sawyer has done many times. For sure. Uh, So they come across some stuff that's like scattered from the drop. There's the book, Catch-22. Yeah, um, there also was a little hula girl on the dashboard, which Lostpedia said was also a similar one was seen on the dashboard of Hurley's Yellow Hummer, where we once heard DJ Dom's uh, eclectic hit. Yeah. Uh, everybody with me. 
Yeah, uh, drinks on me. Uh, who you came with, who you leaving with. I'm who leaving you, with a parachute. Who you hulaing with, hula with, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're saving the big Catch-22 deep dive for John Krause, of course. Yeah, uh, though I think it's, it's so we can just say right now, a Catch-22 is a reference to the titular book by Joseph Conrad. I have admittedly read Joseph Heller, I believe. Joseph Heller, sorry, I was thinking, I guess confuse that with my I was thinking rap. James Heller, Jack. That's a 24 <laughs> reference. Um, but I, I, it's essentially a catch 22 refers to, uh, the, there was this moment in the book, which takes place on a military base where a character's like, I don't want to fly in this mission. So I want to plead insanity. But the paradox is in pleading insanity, you show you have the sanity to realize you are insane and therefore you are not truly insane. So it's almost like a no way out, a lose lose situation if you will. And so that is really shorthand for this. It is the book that you're going to find. It could refer to Desmond's situation here of either he sees Penny or Charlie, like either he saves Charlie and, and spurns Penny or he sees Penny and Charlie die. He really doesn't have his cake and eat it too. That's what the catch 22 is referring to right now. Yeah. Uh, so no matter what I do, Charlie, I'm going to lose. Uh, so they see that there's uh in the book, the bookmark, is the picture of Desmond and Penny. It's like been printed on the worst Xerox yeah, paper. I, d- I did ever. not realize that they... I thought that there was only one print and Desmond had the copy. I did not realize that I guess they made doubles on there that. There are you know, a lot of questions about this picture, That, that huh? troubled day on the pier yeah. when they broke up. You know, how How did they have so many copies of this one picture? You want to pull on that thread and I think that we're going to unravel yeah, I, the whole I would wish sweater. they had more pictures than that one specific picture. I know, but that's the one that they've got. It's iconic. It's shorthand, so I get it. Uh, but yeah. yeah, and we we should also mention if you're talking about a setup, the ultimately like the MacGuffin of season three of Lost and the game shows up right here, Josh. We are talking the satellite phone and all its CGI screen goodness. This is going to show up many a time over the next five episodes. Yeah, so we'll see the sat phone moving forward. Uh, lots of questions about why does this woman have a picture of Desmond with her? We'll get back to that in a second. Let's go back to the beach. Uh, one last time this episode to close out the Sawyer storyline. Uh, Sawyer's going to approach Kate, who's taking a bath in like the public bath. I hope that. That's yeah, the pub- I was. I, that's uh, another knock against Kate. Like, why is she using the fresh water to bathe herself? That's for, like, like that's like BB Anderson you know, shades of sabotage. Uh, of, of the uh, of the reasons to give Kate an LVP in this episode, this is the one that I endorse the most. Is like yeah, she's just, just like taking like the. Uh, but I would also like maybe give the LVP to like the full group if they're just like here's like the public bath water. It's like this is gross. This but is that's not to dip. I think it could be a situation of Kate just being like, oh, I gotta wash off. Like, no, you go in the ocean where you wash the dishes. You are no better than a dish. All right, Kate if, Austin. All right, Rich, our Philly, if you're listening, when we get to the next episode of the Lost RPG, make sure that some very serious bath etiquette is covered with Ronnie and Billy. I think, like, 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 you and I are both Survivor fans, Josh. This can be a contentious point, the use of water specifically. I mean, hopefully Kate is, is washing dirt, not poop off herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's listen in uh, on the conversation. What's this? Your mixtape. <laughs> well, you going to take it or ain't you? Best of Phil Collins, huh? Don't get picky. If Bernard asks, I don't know a thing about it. Thanks, James. So why'd you jump me last night? 
What? Was it because you saw the doc hanging out with Juliet? It is not like that. It's not. You ain't got to use me, Freckles. All you got to do is ask. So, Josh, we're filling in the tapestry for the first time in a while of Oceanic 815. Was someone traveling with a mixtape of the greatest of Phil Collins? Yeah. Uh, well, it sounds like it's just a, a mix. It's not even a mixtape. It's just best of Phil Collins. Like, it's one of those best of collections, but it's you, on cassette. So, like, yeah. who's, who's, who had a, like, a, who had a Walkman? Well, right. I know that Hurley had, had a Walkman, a C- right? Well, he had a CD he, player. But he had a right? CD player. Yeah. Here's the thing, Josh. What if this is our smuggler? What if our smuggler is like this really weird older man who's like <laughs> smuggling dolls and well, fireworks, and he still listens to cassette tapes because he's like very cool like that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't get good Genesis on your CDs <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I can feel it. Coming in the yeah, that yeah. that uh that five drum hit just hits so much better over cassette than it does over any disc. I'd like to see a re-edit of the crash of eight one five. From the perspective of someone listening to the best yes. of Phil Collins, yes, yes, I really want that. <laughs> Sue want Sue that. Studio. Yeah, I want that very 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 badly. Uh, nothing more to unpack from that. Uh, again. Taste dependent stuff. I think I like this stuff more than you do this time around, which is totally fine. Uh, I I just I'm, I'm, I love Sawyer this week. I, I love the Sawyer storyline. It just always uh, puts a smile on my face to to hear the character interactions. There. Yeah, let's let's move on to the storm and not the popular Lost podcast. Yes, uh, the great Lost podcast, the storm. But a different storm is coming here uh, as Charlie and Desmond and everybody they're they're trekking through and they're like, oh, that's Penny. Why wouldn't you? You should have told us. We, yeah, we're not going to do anything. We'll, we'll follow your vision to the letter, Desmond. We want this oh. to happen. And Desmond's like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, I feel so bad for Charlie. Because, uh. like, Desmond, uh, I've noticed this, but in the scene before, when Desmond, again, is using Hurley as a step stool, he, like, derisively refers to Charlie as mate. And it does show how Charlie has so much trust in Desmond at this point, because Desmond has saved him from death so many times, that it is so... Oh, it's so gut-wrenching for Charlie to just be like, almost like a puppy dog to Desmond Ryan Love. Yeah, for love. Sure, I'll do anything. Like, I, you're you're one of my best friends out here, Desmond. And Desmond's like, I'm leading you to your grave so I can see my girlfriend. And it's just like, oh, man, I really do feel for Charlie in this episode. Because he, while he has his, his druthers about stuff, right now he sees you know, Desmond's love goggles and he sympathizes with the situation. And so it only like makes him double down and moving forward for sure. Uh, yeah. And he's like, ah, man, I was kind of thinking I'd let Charlie die, but this feels awful and I don't know that I can do it. So they're, they're still going forward. Uh, one more flashback here, I guess the penultimate flashback as Desmond is recovering from his very, Horrible reunion. Yeah, he's uh, channeling Live Together, Die Alone Desmond, singing and housing wine he's by himself. He's just getting shit-faced. Yeah, red wine Desmond is a bad look. And Brother Campbell's like, all right, you're fired. He's like, wait, you can't fire me. Uh, the, you're supposed to call me Brother Desmond. And he's like, not anymore. You're fired. Uh, so Yeah, he's been, he's been de-brotherized, which as someone who came <laughs> from a fraternity, I know that that is an actual thing. I just didn't realize it actually did carry over into the monkhood of it all. You, why were you debrotherized, Mike? I was not debrotherized. We 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 debrotherized people before, whether it was due to like negligence or like you know putting people at risk. But yeah, I mean, debrotherize is a verb that does apply to fraternity. I just don't know if it actually does apply to a fraternity of monks as well. I don't know that I knew that you were in a fraternity. 
Yeah, it was in a Phi Kappa Tau Eta chapter. Oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah, and actually, uh, I was actually going to, to bring this up before. Desmond makes a comparison of, you know, it's like putting a puzzle together uh, with no box. That was one of the tasks we had to do during hazing was uh, we had to solve a big puzzle of the, the Vegas Strip in the pseudo dark with a bunch of like lights flashing and loud music playing almost like a uh, room 23 style. Oh God, that sounds terrible. Yeah. So actually uh, getting hazed for fraternity is a lot like almost getting inducted to the others in many <laughs> ways. So I can understand Juliet's struggles from the previous episode. All right. So uh, brother Campbell says you're fired, but Hey, I still think that there's great stuff for you, Desmond. Like, I think like you're going to be good. You know, God, that guy, big plans for you, Desmond. Desmond's like, you sure? Yeah, I, I do wonder if he has to kind of toe the line here. If he can't outright be like, "Yeah, your your guidance didn't work here. Like you were listening to the wrong people." He does give him the benefit of the doubt of like, "Yeah, I sure you did hear the call, but just know that the Abbey isn't where you were meant to be." And we're gonna we're gonna have to get into this because uh, we'll you will you know this as actually shown in the last flashback, but there is one of the. Grotiest, chintziest Photoshop job I've ever seen on Brother <laughs> Campbell's desk of Brother Campbell and Eloise Hawking. Josh, was Brother Campbell in on this? Is it hmm. was it sort of like Boone with Hurley in the end, where they knew that they had to bring you know Penny Widmore and Desmond Hume together, and so all this talk about like you're not meant to be here is very tongue in cheek for Brother Campbell to be like I've been instructed as to what I need to do to get you on the right path, and that right path is letting you go right now and having you meet Penny on your final day. Well, I, I can envision the scenario where Eloise Hawking inserted herself into Brother Campbell's life right, as a means of like getting Penny into Brother Campbell's life, as a means of getting Brother, uh, uh, Brother Desmond and Penny together. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, this is like a future episode. This is like this is something to do probably like after we're done with the rewatch, if we want to do bonus stuff is like, what did like, what does that look like? What does the Eloise Hawking journey look like? Let's yeah, fill like, in what, the blank. So, yeah. Let's, let's do some like mob episodes that we write on our own about Eloise Hawking's journey through time. As she like sets up various like, things. I think that this sounds like a very fun idea for some, like when we're done with the, yeah, I, with I'm, the I'm totally down with it. Like just like do some fan fiction effectively of like talk to, well, what would that have looked like? How, how would that make sense? Because I think like, Eloise Hawking has like sort of like this like um like this omniscient knowledge of everything. Uh how does she come by that? We've talked about this a little bit before. Is it right. like has was she- it was it the notebook that Daniel Faraday left behind? Was it like her own like contact with the island? Right. And if it's the Daniel Faraday stuff, how did Daniel Faraday know about that? Is it because like um Faraday knew it via Eloise Hawking, who knew it via the Daniel Faraday notebook, so it's a paradox? Like you know, there's there's a lot to to talk about there, but I I can imagine uh, you know if we're trying to like retcon this and make this fit that Eloise Hawking has some connection to Brother Campbell <laughs> that it could be something that like she's cheekily doing because this puts those pieces together and Desmond and Penny are supposed to get connected so that Desmond goes to the island and blah 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 blah. blah I blah, I just blah. cannot get over that picture because the, the lost the very, lost very prop bad. department is usually incredible and you can't even like do the logic of well it wasn't HD so they didn't know that people would be watching it. They knew well and good that Lost was a freeze frame show yeah, where they were pausing yeah. things to look at stuff. Look at the blast door map. I do not know how that thing got past so many people to put on Brother Campbell's desk of like what the bloody hell is that? Yeah, I do think uh we could say inexcusable. Usable. 
uh, for, for yeah, I, I think it's job. I think it's just someone was sleeping <laughs> on the job that day. It's like, oh shit, I got to get this done. Uh, all right, five minutes uh, later. Yes, but like uh, literally, they were on their way out the door. Like, oh crap! All right, three mouse clicks. Uh, I'm sure this is fine. Nobody will really see it. Look, shit happens. What are you gonna do? Uh, so. Back on the island, the rain is starting to pour down. Jin wants to know what's going on. Hurley kind of catches him up. Jin looks Wait. at him like he has 300 heads, and he's like, well, dude, I, well, even if I spoke Korean, none of this would make sense. I also think that had Jin know the story, though, again, I think like Charlie, he's also a very romantically influenced character, so I think he would also side with Desmond here. I think very likely. So I mean, all, all four of them, actually, are very romantic characters. So they're, they're trekking through the jungle, uh, and then some familiar stuff starts to happen. We'll move faster if we stop talking. She might be hot. I'm moving as fast as I can. In case you haven't noticed, dude, I'm not exactly the Flash. The Flash? He's pathetic. You got something against the fastest man alive? You're insane, mate. Superman can fly around the entire planet in the blink of an eye. Dude, if we're going by a pure full race, suits we get dusted by the well, Flash. Why would the man of steel agree to a study of foot race? Uh, for charity, and Flash would totally win because he can, like, vibrate through walls and stuff. Ooh, vibration. And what would Superman do if he came up against a wall? Well, no smashing allowed. No flying, no smashing. Any other restrictions I need to know about? Perhaps we should fix Superman with a pair of kryptonite ballet slippers. The hell? Charlie Duck do 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 oh, no Sorry <laughs> Bloody Rock God do 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 So yeah so Desmond ends up I guess not going through it in the way of letting Charlie die. We, we got a question from Stefan Johnson here, which was really interesting. Uh, he said, Desmond chooses Charlie over Penny. Considering he has only known Charlie about two weeks and he has been waiting for Penny for over three years, that is a massive sacrifice, Abraham style. And while I do agree it is a, it is a sacrifice, I, I don't think we necessarily compare it by like how long Desmond has known somebody. I think if any of us were put in this situation of like, would you let someone die to see someone that you haven't seen in three years? That is a very tough decision to make because it is less so about like, you know, letting something happen and more so getting blood on your hands. Because as we saw here, Desmond could have very easily and could easily do something to prevent Charlie's death. So even if he like his inaction caused action to happen, that is still his an action in a manner of speaking because he knew what was going to happen and he chose not to do it. And that has to be weighing massively morally so again it's that catch 22 he really was going to have to deal with that guilt either way and at the end of the day desmond hume ends up you know saving charlie once again here and making what he thinks is the abrahamic sacrifice of possibly preventing himself from ever seeing penny again yeah and i would go so far as to say that uh like inaction is absolutely a choice in this moment and it is really just a choice generally uh you know to you, you're choosing to do nothing, and therefore you are doing something. Doing nothing is doing something. Uh, and often it's you know the right thing to do, and often it's the wrong thing to do. And I think if he were to do nothing here, it would have been a very, very tough thing to live with for, for Desmond. Um, like, absolutely, in my mind, like, the right thing to do here is 
well, frankly, like probably the right thing to have done here was not to bring Charlie at all. Um, but it's tough because this is so linked to the person who he has done nothing but think about for mm-hmm. years at this point. Um, you know, beyond the three years he's been trapped on this island, however long he was in prison for and, you know, training for, like, ever since the pier, you know, he's been, uh, like, the photo shoot, you know, he's been thinking of her. Well, uh, and I can also imagine, especially if, again, the the he went through the events of Flash Before Your Eyes from his perspective while he got knocked out from the hatch implosion. He's also experienced these events and this heartbreak very recently from his timeline. So it's almost like, even if he wasn't pining as much you know, for those three years, these feelings might have been reawakened at that moment. So when he gets the first glimpse or hint of a possible penny sighting, he is on it like a bloodhound. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, a bloody bloodhound. A bloody bloodhound. And the bloody rock god has this look at Desmond like, oh, you asshole. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, there's a good, like, I don't know if this is for dramatic tension. There's a good, like, second and a half between when Charlie steps on the tripwire and when the arrow goes off. Desmond could just be like, I have really good reflexes. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, Superman would have beat the arrow in that race. Yeah, I mean, listen, the arrow doesn't really have much he's on He's not uh, very fast anyway. No, he's, he's more so uh, fast when it comes to shooting. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Russo style, right through the shoulder. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so later, the rain, uh, rain, rain, go away. Uh, and there's some disagreement over where the where the parachute uh, has wound up and they're going to split up. And Charlie's like, "All right, I'm, but I'm going with Desmond." <laughs> like after <laughs> I that, gotta, I got to chew his ear off here. Uh, well, not only that, but also like you know, he did save my life ultimately. So uh, I do think I want to, I want to stick with Desmond here. Uh, so Charlie's like, "You, you, you jerk! You knew, you knew." And Desmond's like, "Yeah, I knew." And I'm not even going to feel that bad about it because I keep saving your life and it keeps happening. So what's the point? Why yeah. am I doing it? I shouldn't have done it this time because now I've changed the picture and Penny's not going to be here. And honestly, Charlie, just like, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it at this point. I mean, it's it, this really is like a crisis of faith for Desmond, right? I think almost very, you know, like Abraham or almost like a Job, right? His faith is being tested in the biggest way. Almost From a Locke perspective, too, we made these comparisons of him being like, I did everything you wanted me to do. What do you want me to do? Yeah. And this is uh, Desmond's version of banging on that hatch door when, ironically enough, he was the one shining the light up at John Locke. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's he's un- he's displeased with all of this. And I think he's especially upset when he goes and they reach the, they you know, they hear from Jin and there's the person hanging from the parachute and it doesn't look like that person's moving and Desmond thinks it's Penny. So he's like, yeah, oh, I, shit. W- I will say actually a fairly subdued reaction from Henry Ian Cusick to this idea of like, oh yeah, Penny might be dead. Like, I think there's, it's very surprisingly sober and stone faced. Maybe he's just so emotionally spent at this point, but you would think that Desmond would like flip much more of a shit if he actually thought that Penny had died helicoptering from the, to, to see him on the island. I, w- I would guess that there is a degree to which like after he saved Charlie, he figures like he damned Penny. So it's almost like, this was like an inevitability. In like, go mind. ahead, pull off yeah. the helmet. Let me see the love of my life dead because of my actions. Yeah. So uh, we get one more flashback, which kind of blends in with the ending of the episode. And it begins with Desmond saying goodbye to Brother Campbell. Desmond looking so suave. Love mm-hmm. that that green shirt, gray sweater combo with the blue coat. I want to rock that. Yeah, how, how could you not immediately fall for this guy looking like Look that? Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Uh, and Brother Campbell's going to tell Desmond, like, hey, one last thing before you go. 
are you up for some heavy lifting? Uh, those are those are his words. Heavy lifting. Uh, which, Mike, we know in the very final episode of Lost, mm-hmm. Jasmine is going to be up for some heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You Luckily, have to, You have to lift it up. Did you think then Brother Campbell, with him saying yes, he put him on this path? If Desmond had said, like, no, my back isn't good today, yeah. then maybe Desmond doesn't have to lift the heart of the island. Oh, yeah. If Desmond doesn't do any heavy lifting today, a lot changes, I think. Yeah, the uh, world ends. Yeah, so Desmond is going to do some heavy lifting, and it's going to be the meat cute with Penny intermixed with Desmond on the island cutting down the woman who will be Naomi. So let's listen in. Oh, ten cases are ready to go. Desmond there is just getting the last one. Thank you. And my father sent the check in advance. And please thank him for his generous donation. Always a pleasure to see you. Goodbye, Desmond. I think we should be able to fit it all in the back, and if not, we'll put the rest in the front. Is that all right? Absolutely. You might drive safe, miss. This vineyard only makes a limited number of these cases each year. Is that so? Aye. It's because the monks are lazy. <laughs> yeah, it's easier making grape jelly than wine. And how do you know so much about monks? Because I'm an ex-monk. Really? As of last night, I was fired. <laughs> oh, wasn't that funny? I'm sorry, I never, I, I didn't know monks could be fired. Oh, they can. You know, I was told on a non-certain terms that the Abbey wasn't where I was meant to end up. Just a step along a path. You know, God allegedly has bigger plans for me. Something tells me you don't entirely believe that. I suspect that's because I don't. Well, maybe they're right. I mean, just think, if you hadn't got fired, we wouldn't have met. And then, how could you possibly help me unload these crates in Carlisle? (laughs) Did I say I was coming to Carlisle with you? Not yet. If an ex-monk already has plans, then... You know, I don't usually get in the cars with strangers. Well, in that case, I'm Penelope. Penny. Desmond. Very nice to meet you, Penny. Charlie. Sorry, Penny. Sorry. Doesn't. There she is. 
<laughs> Naomi Dorrit, not the person you expected. And uh, Mike, I believe that this is uh, our final look back at the series Bible from all the way oh, back my in the goodness. day. Um, hope flickers when a small plane flies over the island, but moments later, it bursts into flames. Before it crashes into a mountainside, a single parachuter. Yay! Oh, do they mean do they mean marital status yeah, as well? Yeah, I do believe so. I do. Uh, leaps from the plane. Despite vast distance and impending nightfall, a rescue party immediately organizes. But what they find when they reach this new visitor is the last thing anyone expects. Mike, that actually ended up being pretty close, except for the mountainside. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, well, the mountainside was more so talked about in the actual wine label. But yeah, look at this happening. Look at your series Bible actually coming through in an episode that is about the Bible. It only makes sense we've been (laughs) due to the Bible here. I mean, this is such a great tug of war of emotions. It's actually uh, the fake out is kind of evocative to me of all the best daddies with the whole Charlie CPR. Oh, my God, is he actually dead? Ironically enough, in another episode when Charlie uh, sort of dies in the jungle of initially building up like they have. You know, they're they're countering the Desmond Penny meet cute. They're playing it over Desmond, slowly and solemnly edging his way up the branch to cut down who he thinks is dead Penny. And then the helmet, you know, the it's, they say, hey, she's still breathing. And then it immediately changes, right? Desmond's breath gets harried. There's energy. There's pep back in his step. And it's not Penny at all. It's just such a, a nice subversion of expectations with the use of flashback to a lot of the developments that happen in, in the modern storyline. Just a really strong ending overall. Really strong ending, uh, provocative. This is a totally new character. That's exciting. Um, maybe hot take. I don't know. I, I think that the show uh, ultimately uh, misses an opportunity with Naomi. I think Naomi could have been a really compelling character to to have from this point moving yeah, forward. I, mean, I, I think... My headcanon has always been that maybe some of the other Naomi stuff was kind of mapped onto Alana. And I think maybe as we study the two characters, I wonder how similar they might end up being. It's just one of those situations where, like, is she Henry Ian Cusick levels or Michael Emerson levels of, like, this guest star who's appearing in the middle of a season and, like, oh, we gotta gotta have more for them in the season following? Maybe not, but I think that the potential was certainly there, and especially as they were going to elaborate on the Freighter storyline, and especially because... It wasn't a matter of like we're not going to be able to get the actor back because they're able to get um, the, yeah they get the, they get her back for confirmed dead they get her back for some like it Hoth they get her they get her back for uh, the very first episode of season four as well because she's not even killed by Locke right away yeah like, that's she, very true she bleeds out later like she dies in the I mean, and I'm pretty sure we see her and meet Kevin Johnson as well on the freighter you know so like I I think that it's a it's it's a shame that they didn't. Um, you know, find a way to, to, to keep her going. Like, I think like, uh, that, that was a missed opportunity, especially, uh, you know, with, with a show that maybe, uh, you know, some of like the, the, the women of the, of, of lost don't get nearly as much embellishment as, as many would like. Mm-hmm. I feel like Naomi would have been a character that could have been really, really cool. Could have been somebody who is of that, like morally ambiguous, um, you know, Ben Linus level, if not like, Sort of like uh like a, a Kimi ish type of character I think could have been yeah. really really cool with Naomi um so I'm I'm happy to have her on the show right now because I've always been a fan of this character and one of the 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 major disagreements that I have with Lost is uh, the way that they dispatch of her I think that they they dropped the ball on uh, somebody who I thought was was very interesting and 
to your point, I think could have taken on a lot of the Alana stuff later on, and that wouldn't have felt so sudden to just like suddenly have this new character who's really super important in like the halfway mark of the penultimate season of the show. You would have a character who mattered a lot at this stage, like in yeah. the you know kissing towards season four. I think it it would have it would have worked a lot better for me if they had hyped her up to the same levels that they're going to hype up the other freighter folk. Yeah, I mean, even look at someone like what we're just going to see happen with Juliet and Ben, and even to an extent like Richard Alpert. Like, introduce them in a weird way, almost as an antagonist or a big person to work towards, and then work them into the group. I do not think it's outside the realm of the possibility for them to be able to do that. It's just maybe for whatever reason they were looking at season four and thought they might, like, wipe the slate clean in a manner of speaking. But like you said, like, I don't think this is a Nikki and Paolo situation where the characters were just not very good. I think there, there's some interesting stuff with Naomi here. And I'll, I'll be excited at least to maybe take a page out of the series Bible and spend the next several weeks trying to paint our own picture of what Naomi's story is. For sure. All right. So uh, some more feedback from the listeners. This is from Lindy Steiner, who says, I can't remember what I thought the first time, but why does Desmond so strongly believe that Penny is the parachutist. Uh, and this is from the Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell, who says it's a well-known phenomenon in criminal trials that eyewitness evidence is notoriously unreliable, but that the witness themselves are often convinced their recall is 100% accurate. Does Desmond suffer from this? Does his mind invent parts of his vision that were never actually there? Here he sees Penny, but doesn't see that she is actually the person who parachutes on the island. That seems to be entirely made up in his head. Could this also explain him later believing that he sees Claire leaving with Aaron on the helicopter if he simply sees Aaron and assumes the woman holding him is Claire? Yeah, I mean, it is a good question that, you know, all they have to go off of are De- is Desmond's memory. And if he's shown to be an unreliable narrator from a certain perspective, like maybe this whole uh, this this whole jigsaw box theory is actually incorrect. And it's just that Desmond is misremembering like, oh, yeah, now that I think about it, uh, yeah, it wasn't about shooting an arrow through the throat. It was actually, uh, you know, drowning in the looking glass station. I should probably warn you about that. Yeah. Uh, this is from the great Dallin Servo, who, by the way, has uh, been keeping track of the dude count. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. We we, we've sort of shirked the dudes here we, as of late, We've Dallin. shirked the dude count. Uh, but to give an update on the dude count, Hurley says dude six times in this episode. We are up to 164 dudes. Holy moly! <laughs> through season three, episode 17 of Lost. Dallin says, does Desmond change anything by letting Charlie live? Or was it always Naomi that came to the island? Well, I mean, this is sort of what we're talking about with the micro versus macro stuff, right? Like, the, you know, Desmond talked about it at the end of Flashes Before Your Eyes. He has changed a lot in not having Charlie get struck by lightning or get hit, you know, with rocks. But at the end of the day, Charlie is still going to die. So I think it's it's still a matter of, like, he just didn't die here, but that did not necessarily mean that this wasn't going to happen. It's just that Desmond was misguided into thinking that the person landing on the island would be Penny. The person was going to land on the island no matter what. It just wasn't going to be Penny ever. Um, this is from Jim Fells, who says, I really like the question the flashback raises. Is Desmond really meant for greatness? Or is he actually a coward? Desmond has a completely different job and lifestyle in every flashback he gets, which is such a great detail because he's never fully satisfied. We know he does end up being a big deal, but does he know that? Or is he using destiny as an excuse to throw away his life every time things get scary? It's a different take on Locke's search for purpose. I was going to say, it's actually, it's a really interesting comparison to Locke, right? Because Locke is someone who is 
he takes the approach of Brother Campbell's second half of his quote of like he is always looking at what he's running towards of, OK, this is what I need to do. So I'm going to do it even if it, it doesn't look great. Desmond is more so saying like, well, I don't want to do this. So I, I'm running away from it. And it really is two sides of the same coin when it comes to faith. I think Jim makes a, a really great point there. And I'm going to bring up this question again because because I, I brought it up in the discord. and I brought it up in the beginning of this podcast. Josh, do you think Desmond is a tragic character, or at least certain characteristics are, are tragic of oh, him? Oh, yeah, certain characteristics for sure. Uh, I believe it was Stefan Johnson in the Poetry Recaps patron Discord who was uh, defending that take and being like, you know, he he gets punished so severely, like so dis- disproportionately to, to many of his actions. Like, he, he can't stay with Penny, so he gets, like, stuck on the island for three years. Like, right. yeah, that... That stuff's awful. That stuff is 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 really really terrible. I think ultimately in in the grand scheme, you know, Desmond's ending is a happy one. Uh, mm-hmm. He he gets to. I mean, that's why his season six episode is even titled that "Happily Ever After." Uh, and like, I think like ultimately he is able to find uh, peace in in a way that a uh, few other characters on Lost are probably able to get to like his measure of contentment mm-hmm. um, and like being able to like feel like a load has really been lifted from this person. Yeah, and, uh, and to, but to that point, is it almost a thing, again, going back to the Job idea of, like, he had to suffer so much to become so happy in right, the end. Right, right, right. So, like, you know, there's a lot that he has to go to and a lot, a lot through and a lot that he has to figure out about himself uh, and life generally for him to, to get even remotely close to, to that level of peace. So, yeah, I think that there are hugely tragic aspects of him, um, but whether you want to say like his is like he's the tragic hero or he has sort of a classic hero's journey, um, I think you could debate that back and forth. But there's just no world in which Desmond's story isn't massively tragic at certain points. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that um, it's probably happier ultimately than we give credit to, especially relative to a lot of the other characters on this show right absolutely or even relative to like how he was beforehand i mean if you look at similar other what you might consider tragic heroes like a jack or a Locke, desmond by far has the best ending out of those three uh if you look at who has the most tragic ending we've talked about this before but it would probably be john Locke out of all of them but i I think it's interesting to sort of compare like you know, the tragedy that these types of characters experience and whether their their final resting place, for lack of a better term, like, do, is it informed by that tragedy or does it almost subvert it? I'll be intrigued to hear what, what people have to say about it, because I think it's a really it's a really key way to look at Desmond's story and whether all the, the suffering that he went through was worth it to get the girl at the end. Uh, so that discussion brought to you by Jim Fells's question. Is there anything from Jim Fells's music analysis this week that you want to bring into the conversation, Mike? Yeah, so a couple of straightforward things. There are a couple of like rarely used themes that come up. Like there's a theme for Naomi that appeared uh, when Desmond found her back. We're only going to hear it one more time when she introduces herself to Miles in the aforementioned Some Like It Hoth. There's like a, a, a special Charlie's death motif that played. You heard it in the opening clip when Charlie got shot in the throat, which we'll hear when Charlie's not necessarily dead, but he is trying to awaken Desmond by steering the car into the water. 
And when Desmond talks with Hurley about the wire, you better believe there's a callback to numbers where we initially saw Hurley following that wire. So, yeah, not really a lot of new uh, stuff brought about in this episode musically. Sadly, not drinks on me, though. No, unfortunately not. You have to look to the Hula Girl (laughs) for that one. Yeah, that would have been fun. Um, All right, let's get into the MVP, LVPs. Mike, you've got three MVPs. I've got three LVPs. Why don't you take us for a spin with the MVPs? Yeah, so let me, I'm just going to go bing, bang, boom, because these, I'm going to give it to three out of the four of our camping quartet here. I think Charlie, Hurley, and Jen all have strong moments of character. They all have very funny moments. And I think they are all people who, as I mentioned before, like, I think they they would sympathize with Desmond's situation. They're, They're good wingman for, like, the weird you know, cockamamie pursuit that Desmond is taking here. So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to much like we did with Trisha Tanaka is dead for the spiritual sequel to it. I'm, I'm going to give the points to the other three members of the camping trip. Some updates on that front. Then um, Hurley is one MVP point away from tying Saeed wow. uh, as the all time leader of lost so far. Uh, that's great. That's very cool. Uh, and then as it pertains to Charlie, who we've been tracking, like, is he going to clear out before the end of this thing? He is now at negative one. Oh, you're overall. almost there. You're almost there, I, Charlie boy. I feel like fairly safely we can say that Charlie is going to make it, uh, at least in this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to make it in a certain regard. Yeah, In, in this regard. Yeah, he's, currently, uh, he's currently at a positive two for season three overall. For my MVPs, uh, one is easy. It's Penny. Just because anytime I see Penny, I'm pretty happy. And and like she was laying some game down yeah, when she's she talking with Sawyer. Pretty hard on on Desmond. So uh, you know, I'm pretty happy to give an MVP point to to Pen- uh, Penelope Woodmore here. Uh, and then my boy Sawyer. I think this is just a great Sawyer episode. Uh, love to give Sawyer an MVP point here. Um, as it pertains to the LVPs. Uh, you know, this was a catch-22, a lose-lose situation for my other boy, Desmond David Hume, <laughs> who I love as a character. Do not get it twisted. But uh, when you survey the characters in catch-22, like, who are you really going to ding up before you start dinging up Desmond? Like, yeah. I think Desmond has to get dinged up here. Uh, so I'm dinging him twice. Uh, two LVP points for Desmond from me for, I think, pretty self-explanatory reasons. Very nearly letting Charlie get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding out, like, how he, how he, you know, ducked out uh, on on Ruth. Uh, you know, some of the stuff that, like, some of the ways he's treating her. Hurley, for instance. Uh, I think, uh, you know... Fair, fair reasons for uh, Desmond to get uh, to get knocked here. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of like Desmond's stranger in a strange land a bit as well. I know you made the comparison before with the with the flashbacks, but like seeing Desmond at rock bottom, uh, you know, off the island, and then on the island, he's almost at rock bottom as well, and that he seems like he is his most manic and driven in a very different way than he was before. It's not a good look for the character. It's a very interesting look at yes. the character, but I feel like if we're looking at it from like an absolute value perspective, what he does on this island is not very good, which is why I duck him a point as well to give him a negative three overall for the week. For the week. Uh, but he's still he's still in the clear. He's at uh, just a, a single point for season Yeah, and, three. and I think this is the most we're probably ever going to ding Desmond, I think, you know, especially when we get to like the greatest hits of it all. He's probably going to get some kudos there. Yeah, I can't imagine. I think he's at a four total right now, so he's fine. He'll he'll be okay moving forward. Um, I'll, I, I said it before. I'll, I'll give an LVP to Derek. I'm just looking like who else do I give LVP points mm. to? I don't want to stack them onto Desmond, uh, so I'm I'm gonna justify it that like yeah, Desmond deserved to be punched in the face. But Derek, control yourself. And I'm also gonna do what I mentioned before and give an LVP point to Kate here. Like again, I I know that. 
I can understand from like a, a logical, this isn't a bad writing perspective, what Kate does or what Kate did. But I, I just think, again, looking at it from an absolute value, she does like toy around with Sawyer. She washes using the, the fresh drinking water. Again, if this is a good episode for like Sawyer or even an interesting episode for the Jack side of things with his relationships with Sawyer and Kate. I do not think this is a good episode for Kate. Uh, let's talk about how good of an episode Catch Twenty Two is. Let's go to the four point two stars. Uh, I I said this I said this weeks ago. I'm, I'm holding to it now. It's a four point two for me, which I know is high. Yeah, for for a lot of people, I get it. There's no way for me to to separate the personal nostalgia I have for this one. Um, it's it's an episode that I just enjoy more and more every single time I watch it. Uh, totally, totally get it. If that is very far afield from from where other people are, including yourself, Mike. Uh, but I, I I would posit I think this is a better episode than you're giving it credit for, uh, personally speaking. Uh, Josh, you are a madman, and I absolutely love it. Uh, and yeah, this might be... Maybe we'll have some people go back and track our ratings. I think this might be our biggest discrepancy in rating so far. Yeah, this gets a 3.5 from me, which is still in the great lost tier. But again, I really compare it against some of the other episodes. Mainly Expose was the one that I looked at of like, again, the next sort of like unique, lighthearted lost episode. And I will admit, I, I probably enjoyed myself more watching Expose than I did watching uh, Catch-22. And again, not to say that Catch-22 is a bad episode. It is fun. It's a really great character study of Desmond when he finds himself at a crisis of fate. There's some fun moments in the jungle, uh, you know, that brings in this new big mystery element in Naomi. There are just certain things that I, I am not as high about as you are, which I think brings it down to to the mid threes personally. And this sort of like, you know, I think I definitely liked. I was really going back and forth actually as to whether I liked this or one of us more because last week I was just so blown away by Elizabeth Mitchell and what they brought to us of Juliet. But I do think that Catch-22 from a structural perspective and even a story perspective has much more going for it, so it gets the slight bump in my eye. Uh, but our listeners, you know, suffice it to say, maybe we're not as high as you are. Uh, the Ben Behind the Curtain did give it a 4.1, uh, but otherwise we got a lot of, like, mid to high threes and, and uh, maybe a, a 3 and a 3.1 as well. So they average out to a 3.6. That's going to average out to a 3.76 overall, and Josh... Thanks to your big old score, Cash 22 is our number seven episode of season three right now. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's really close to Expose. It's really close to Not in Portland. I think it's, you know, those are episodes that I, that I like it be. I, I think A Tale of Two Cities is higher than it should be for, for the rankings of season three. So far, it's currently still number five on the list. I would put all three of uh, Not in Portland, Catch-22, and Expose probably higher than A Tale of Two Cities. Mm, I don't know. I, I feel like Tales of Two Cities was just it was such a strong introduction moment for Juliet. I think the Jack flashbacks, sort of like what we were talking about here, like while not the best to watch, I feel like we're so informative of the character and like we talked about before really link it up with the the finale i stand by my 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 ranking on a tale of two cities i i really yeah. like that episode more than i thought i would yep so that's where it is it's at seven right now uh this is uh an episode that i i you know catch rate two is one of those episodes that like i would just throw this on i would just throw on this episode of lost and i'd be really happy to have done it um so uh a personal favorite of mine um very happy to have talked it through Really, really some fun stuff in this one for me, at least. Uh, next week is an episode that I, I just, I do not remember it very well. Yeah. Uh, it's DOC. I know it's going to be the return of Mikhail. 
Uh, he's going to get like kicked in the face by Jin, I believe, at one point, which is pretty cool. Yeah, because they're going to uh, the camping crew is now going to go to Mikhail to do some triage on poor Naomi here. So there's there's some good stuff there, some great Juliet content, some really great Sun content, the return of King Daddy Quan coming up. So I feel like we'll have a really fun time on the podcast next week. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I'm always game for a Quan episode, especially, uh, you know, the last time was the Glass Ballerina, which was the Nothing Burger episode. So I'm excited to see we're finally going to get a development on the whole Sun's pregnancy storyline, which we felt has really taken a backseat in season three. You mentioned the return of King Daddy Quan, And really, Josh, this is going to be like the end of an era almost, because after DOC, we have that just like untouchable four episode streak of yes. the Brig, the man behind the curtain, greatest hits and through the looking glass, which is just going to be an incredible run of episodes leading into the end of season three. So this is almost sort of like our our last stop, if you will, as as we start off December here and we're going to finish off 2020 on a hell of a high note. I thank God. Yeah, <laughs> at least as it pertains to Lost. So uh, we're going to be recording that next week. Get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at postshowrecaps, at Rand Howard, at a Mike Bloom type you can hit us up on the discord as well if you are a patron of post show recaps at the discord level check it out patreon.com slash post show recaps flirt around with some of the options there <laughs> a lot so, penny and desmond yeah if it seems interesting uh then we can give you a ride into carlisle carlisle by the way any boone connection there? oh perhaps uh, maybe they owned it i own a business yeah, I own a town. Uh, so, no, I don't think so. Uh, so make sure you are exploring all of that. Um, Mike is exploring the cosmos mm-hmm. and Star Trek Discovery. And you're dr- ex- drinking some cosmos as well in celebration of the holidays. You're exploring the world via the amazing race. <laughs> yeah, our planets and beyond, if you will. And, and doing some survivor stuff as well in between. So check all that out. And... I know this is coming out uh, the day after American Thanksgiving on Black Rock Friday, but I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like we should take the time here, Josh, because it actually uh, is very f- fortunate that you and I received a couple of emails from people just sort of reflecting on their own history with loss and how down the hatch sort of came into their lives. And I know that, you know, it, it's been a while. It's been a year plus since we started this. So this is a bit of old hat, but... I mean, I am I am infinitely and incredibly thankful to you for bringing me on to this project and especially to the Hatchlings for keeping us along. You know, we are we are getting near like the hundred episode mark into this thing and we have gotten feedback week in and week out. We've got the Ben behind the curtain and Bernard Fitzpatrick working behind the scenes to make sure everything runs smoothly and Lost was such a community show back in the day that I'll admit when we started this project up, I, I wasn't sure if that community would come back and any and all expectations have been exceeded. It has been extraordinarily spirit lifting to read and listen to feedback, whether for certain episodes or for lost impact in life in general, or even just silly little remarks like what the hell is that picture of Brother Campbell and Eloise talking? <laughs> so and so yeah. this Thanksgiving, like I have been last year as well, I'm I'm incredibly thankful, Josh, to not only you but the people that listen to us prattle on here for hours at a time about a show that is nearing on two decades old. It, it's the most fun I have each and every week, and I'm happy to keep doing it as, as we near the back half of the series, but also a particularly very strong run of episodes. Yeah, it's going to be really great. I'm thankful for, for you, and that's you, Mike, and you, the listener, and you, Lost, as well. Uh, you know, This has been a, a real highlight of my week every single week for uh, since August 2019. 
believe it or not. So, um, you know, we're going to we're going to be hitting hitting uh, our third, you know, calendar year of of loss down the hatch pretty soon. So that's crazy. It's crazy to think about. Um, and crazier still is like I am now in this place where I'm actively thinking like, all right, so how do we keep this going? Yeah, after, now, uh, well, now we got an idea. We got the Eloise Hawking Mobisode storyboarding that we're going to do. No, I genuinely do have ideas for how we'll do the podcast after we finish uh, the end. Oh, yeah, there, there uh, are things in the hopper. Don't you worry. D- DTH is not going away anytime soon. I think Lost is such a spectacular prism of a show. It's just we- a great canvas to have conversations yeah. about that. I, I feel like once we're done with the rewatch, like that doesn't mean that the podcast has to end. I would be curious, like... Are people going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm all tired. I'm yeah, lost. Yeah, like, all right, I'll give it a rest a little bit. But uh, I don't know. It might be a thing where by the time we're done, we're like, all right, let's let's go back and relitigate some stuff from the beginning. There there might be some stuff in there, considering especially how season six was trying to be a full circle and bringing stuff back. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a lot of ideas there. I'd love to hear from people. Is this music to your ears? The idea of like, oh, you'd keep down the hatch going after you finish the rewatch was like, uh, I'm only here yeah, until you uh, get to the fan. Go on to Fringe, guys. Give it a rest. You know, like, I, I don't know. I think, you know, as I've been thinking about, like, what's the follow-up to Lost is, like, I, I don't know that there is one, uh, necessarily. Like, I think it's Lost. <laughs> you know, and I think that this is a show that we've often said, like, it meets you where you are. Uh, and I, I think that there's always going to be a really compelling conversation to have surrounding this world and the characters. So um, I'm inclined to keep it going for a while. Uh, as Agreed. long as the interest is there from other people, as long as you and I are still feeling it, that's the big caveat. But I feel like, uh, you know, the proof is, has borne out that, uh, you know, a year and change later, you and I are as energized about it as we were at the start. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. That's going to do it. We'll be back next week with DOC. Uh, get your feedback in down the hatch of show recaps.com. We'll talk to you in a week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.